This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff Simpson and, of course, Terry South. The gang is gathered to get you through the day. Today we're going to be talking about Puerto Rico. Is it President Trump's New Orleans? Is it... uh, is it the new aftermath of Katrina, the the, the terrible impact that that had on uh, the Bush presidency? Well, it may be. Millions of people are still uh, waiting for aid. One week later, they have no food. They have no water. We're going to be talking about it right now with Terry South in the headlines. Terry, what's going on? Senate Republicans decided Tuesday they would not vote on their health care bill after efforts to garner support for the legislation fell short. The bill named for uh, Lindsey Graham, Bill Cassidy, two senators, appeared doomed on Monday when moderate uh, Senator Susan Collins joined the conservative Rand Paul and Senator John McCain in opposition. With three Republicans, solid no votes. The GOP can't muster the 50 votes needed to pass. Republicans have till uh, Saturday if they want to try to do something in a three-day effort Mm. for a fifth or sixth time to see if they can not How many times can you strike out? Well, they said, uh, Lindsey Graham said in a speech on Tuesday that he's not giving up on the bill. He says, we're coming back after taxes. We'll do this again. Okay. So we'll give it one more, well, three more, whichever. But Mm -hmm. uh, Trump said he'll introduce his tax plan in Indiana later today. Oh, lucky for them. So we'll get some We'll find out. Yeah, this could be big. Hmm. North Korean government officials have been reaching out to Republican analysts in Washington to try to get a better read on what's going on in President Trump's head. Oh, like Sean Hannity? Good luck. Not sure. This out of the Washington Post. This is my own guess is that they are somewhat puzzled as to the direction in which the U.S. is going. So they're trying to open up channels to take the pulse in Washington, said a former uh, State Department official. Uh, they haven't seen the U.S. act like this before. Uh, a North Korean expert who is uh, Bruce uh, Klinger, who is a North Korean expert now with the Heritage Foundation, says that North Korea reached out to him, but he declined their invitation. Still, he observes the country is on a new binge of reaching out to American scholars and ex-officials. Reflecting North Korean officials' confusion are the questions they're bringing to Americans. Why, for instance, are Trump's top officials, notably Defense Secretary James Matt, or Jim Mattis and Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, directly contradicting their president so often on foreign affairs? The president says something, and then you get your defense secretary and the secretary of state saying something completely different. Well, it's just, this happens every day at home. Oh, yeah. Where it's, I say the kids can do something, my wife says they no. can't. And they're like, let's go ask the other one. It's uh, <laughs> What this is probably about is this is just a good marriage. Is it? Apparently. Okay. Everyone has an opinion. It's normal. They're confused. Normally, the, when the president speaks, that is that is the position. It's just many question if he's as informed as he might need to be. And, and they keep saying his Twitter feed is the official... Uh, like like message words the, right. the official well, dot- unless he deletes it after he right. wrote it so or, now we know if you if you don't get the answer that you like from President Trump just go to Mattis that's right <laughs> in other news four assistant basketball coaches from Arizona Auburn Oklahoma State and Southern California were charged Tuesday morning in a federal corruption investigation that might only be the tip of the iceberg in a three year FBI probe that focused on coaches being paid tens of thousands of dollars to steer NBA bound players towards sports agents, financial advisors, and apparel companies. 
Wow. Did you see this yesterday? No. This was big. Each of the coaches is charged with bribery conspiracy, solicitation of bribes, honest services fraud conspiracy, honest services fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, and travel act conspiracy. Wow. Bunch of stuff. The U.S. Department of Justice said each of the coaches faced a maximum sentence of 80 years in prison. The FBI conducted an elaborate undercover operation starting in 2015, managed to keep it all secret. The NCAA wasn't made aware of the investigation until Tuesday when they said, hey, we're having a press conference. You might want to be there. Hasn't this been going on forever? Oh, yeah, sure. I didn't know you weren't, but maybe I need to talk to Don, because I think I've kind of been doing those things here at BYU Radio. Oh, boy. There's a whole fictitious movie about it. Called Blue Chips. Really? Oh, Where, yeah. yeah. The blue chip see, like, Nick Nolte? Yeah, Nick Nolte's the coach. Or no, he's the, is, yeah, he's the coach. I think so. And, I've never uh, seen Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's all, I mean, it's fictitious and they yeah. play things up, but it's the idea that uh, you have a player. You want him to come to a certain team, and so you give the family $100,000 or well, in Blue Chips, yeah. they give a family a tractor. You well, know, you've that heard kind of, of Kobe <laughs> Bryant. You've heard of LeBron. Kobe didn't go to college. No, but like Le- these guys... They all have agents. They're mm-hmm. making eighty, ninety, a hundred million a year. So what they said was using wiretaps, surveillance video, and undercover agents and cooperating witnesses, the FBI was able to document coaches accepting bribes to steer their players to certain financial advisors and or business managers. Mm-hmm. In other cases, high-ranking Adidas employees working with others to pay uh, prospective college athletes uh, families to ensure that the players signed with an Adidas-sponsored school and then signed with Adidas once they turned pro. Adidas is fighting with Nike to get players. Because you get a player, you can sell shoes. Wouldn't it be great if there were FBI agents that were undercover as basketball players? Oh, it's like 21 Jump Street, except basketball. Why is he the only one wearing those uh, dark socks that that? go up to his knees? Stuff for that, stylish. So yeah, this it's it's wide ranging. It, it it goes right to the whole student athlete concept. Yeah, where, where this Are is an pro? amateur sport. They're, yeah, they're, they're not even pros. There but... are billions of dollars in college sports, and they're finding the underbelly that's been there all the time. But now they've been able to. It seems like it. this makes the argument that they really are professional athletes on some level because. Professional companies are all after them. They're fighting for them. So, and finally, in a lighter note, or not, Baltimore just announced its very own Fatberg. Uh-oh. CBS Baltimore reports the congealed lump of fat was found between Baltimore Penn Station and the 1700 block of Charles Street, if you know Baltimore at all. The fatberg is comprised of fats, oils, greases that harden and collected and other things that don't break down in the sewers. And uh, we've talked about this. We've had a guest on that talks about the problem in London. They had a massive fatberg they found again. Yeah. The guy we yeah. talked to is from uh, Dublin, Ireland. They have a huge problem they had there. A huge fatberg. Authorities said it was block- that this fatberg was blocking eighty five percent of a two foot wide, one hundred year old pipe. So it always comes down to the so older it's, pipes. It's just a little two foot wide pipe. They found that while looking for the source of a sewer. Overflow in recent weeks, including one on September 21st that sent 1.2 million gallons of sewage into a nearby river. Ugh. Ugh. So, yeah, fatbergs. I think that's the noise it makes as they're getting it out of there. They have removed it. It took uh, it took many, many a garbage truck, they said. Well, yeah. So And so let's have the new guy do it. Yeah. <laughs> so Where's the Bruce? The poor new guy. Send the new guy down in there. Oh, can you imagine? How do you, I mean, I guess you just chip away at the fatberg. You just shovel it out. Yeah. It's just, it's just stuff in the, yeah. Pound by pound. <laughs> just gross. Blech. Let's give everybody a break. Just everybody take a breath. Mm. Oh, fatberg. Is that it? <clears throat> You'd think you could just light it. Mm. Maybe the uh, lack of space 
yeah. in the pipe might cause it some extra danger. Well, they, you just blow out the pipe. May, maybe. Shoot it down about a mile. Yeah, who needs the pipes? Good, good point. Thank er, you. Good point, said the bagpiper, who was exhausted <laughs> and tired. Who needs the pipes? Hey, um, Puerto Rico, what is going on? Mm. I think it's more about what isn't going on. I mean, they, like you said, these these are people that could go get on an airplane and fly right into the United we, States, don't even need their passport. Yeah, there have been some polling over the last few days, and generally America doesn't understand these are American citizens. They have yeah. all the rights that we do. Yeah, but a, everyone's like, yeah, but we're, we're still out on that. They're in a territory. That's crazy. And so here we are several, I mean, we're almost, is this two weeks almost? Yeah, ten days at least. Ten days, yeah, I think so. Uh, since the uh, the hurricane hit the island, and they're still just getting kind of sporadic supplies. The U.S. military mm. has now sent their uh, uh, some ships to the to Puerto Rico. As the, all, the health, the medical ship that mm-hmm. can take care of people. All the network. Now, granted, we have Irma. There's Harvey, so things might be a little stretched there. But well, there's been nothing of a of a huge like organized effort. To go there, there, I saw interviews with the governor of Puerto Rico and the mayor of uh, San Juan, I believe, is the biggest city there. And uh, they're both like, hey, we're still here. Hello. We need some help. They showed the mayor walking through waist-deep water on a on a bullhorn, still trying to make sure people are okay, where yeah. they're at, that kind of thing. So she's still out there every day doing this. The water hasn't receded. So Two or three people died in intensive care because they ran out of diesel fuel to run Ooh. the generators to keep the intensive care going. Wow. So imagine that's your family. And then uh, President Trump made some statement about – He said – He said you know, he they was sitting at a money. table. Well, yeah. He made that on Twitter saying that they have some debt and problems of that nature. And this is after the weekend of 20 or more tweets about the NFL and zero about Puerto Rico. So yeah. someone pointed that out probably on and some then, TV show he was watching. And then, I'll be there Tuesday. Right. Hey, speaking of Donald Trump's tweets – would you yeah. be more afraid of his tweets if he could tweet twice as much? Oh, yeah. That would be double. Twitter's talking about it. Oh, you mean oh, double the length? Double the characters, yeah. Yeah, more is not better. Not I, if you're President Trump. Yeah, apparently Twitter's changing from 140 characters They're to 280. They're talking about it. Let's, let, let's just let's take a vote on that. Let's, let's agree we don't need that. You've heard that in the acting world, less is more? Yeah. Do you think people tell President Trump that? Less is more, well, President. They don't tell him anything. <laughs> I don't think so. Because, well, I don't think. Because he, he'll do the opposite. I think he's tweeting most of the time when no one's there. He's sitting at the bottom of his bed the, in his robe, one of the, pumping one of, out 140 characters. One of the more entertaining things to watch is there's certain reporters who will take the whatever uh, showing of Fox and Friends that morning, and they'll wind it back in the time to line it up to when the tweets come out and when the, you can see that they air, in a, air a segment and then the tweet comes out and then they air a segment. He's reacting to what he watches he's, on this one show. He's literally watching Fox and Friends. Yeah, he's live tweeting a show is kind of how this works. I can't help but think of a Saturday morning cartoon whenever you say Fox and Friends. Yeah. <laughs> it's the <laughs> best cartoon. Coming ever. up next on Fox and Friends. D- depends uh, <laughs> who you talk to, yeah. So we've got to somehow get help to Puerto Rico. yesterday a flotilla was announced, which is a series of boats, that are sending a bunch of supplies down. Speaking of fat birds. They probably should have left (laughs) a week ago, you know, and they're just sending them out right now. Well, do you remember how fast the president got to uh, 
Houston's almost to the point where it's like he maybe should he, wait a few he, days. Yeah, he couldn't sure. do anything. Yeah, he's in Austin. He couldn't actually get to Houston. So maybe so. he learned that hey, let's do the slow deal on Puerto Rico. Well, this is too slow. Yeah, it's way too slow. <laughs> the, it, it almost sounds like it's turning into the and, Katrina of President Bush. Right. Just slow response. Well, you have the president saying everything's going great, which is kind of what President Bush yeah. said, and then you have the the FEMA director who uh, stepped up and was saying, hey, there's some complications here, but, you know, we're doing this, we're doing, you know. And so there's no acknowledgement that there is obviously a lag in supplies getting there. Man. You know, and then the FEMA director is like, well, local people have to do more. It's not really the best answer mm. when uh, they well, the really problem can't. is I feel bad for Puerto Rico because they just don't have the political power. No. So they are just, they're not respected or appreciated. I don't know what it is to the degree they need to be. So meanwhile, people are dying. People are dying. In fact, even the LDS Church um, yeah, they're pulled gone. missionaries out of – and that's only happened twice in four years. There's missionaries all over the country, all over the world, like 400 and something missions, aren't there? And um, they pulled out the missionaries. So that's a really good indicator that there's nothing there. Yeah. Anytime you have to be evacuated from a country when you're serving an LDS mission or just in general, that's yeah. scary. I think the other one was in Cebu, Philippines, when there was a tsunami or what was it there? There was um, – I don't know. There was just horrible storms that flooded all of the Philippines. Yeah. So My brother served an LDS mission and he was in Honduras. Wasn't any natural, natural disaster of any kind, but his life was in danger apparently really? because – they, there were threats on the missionaries' lives. So oh, he had yeah. to be evacuated. No, well, he was in yeah. – I'm sorry. He was in – yeah, he was in Honduras, had to be evacuated to El Salvador. Wow. Scary. That didn't seem – does that, does that seem – doesn't seem safer. Oh, no. Oh, is it? I mean, no. Maybe, maybe not. But, um, but see, when I was uh, – when I lived in Argentina back in the day, they thought we were spies. They thought we were CIA agents. Wearing our white out, shirts. Turns out you were just really, really nice. Yeah, we were just really – we were just missionaries. Yeah. Talking about the gospel. Not, now, not trying to spy on you. We this, can't even make lunch. This is a for instance about Puerto Rico. Yeah. Right. There's nothing to say this is true. There's nothing to say this is actually happening. But do you know who won the 2016 presidential Republican primary in Puerto Rico? Oh. Mm. Uh, let's see. Um Okay, it would. I would say Ted Cruz, Rubio, Rubio won. Yeah! Rubio, but he won Florida Rubio. Like he got seventy four percent of the vote. Where's Rubio? He went down there. He's already been down there. He's been down there. See? He toured the area and he came back. Like these people need help. He was talking about it yesterday. He. That's cool. He owns. He owns that district basically. Basically, I guess. So is that a factor? Trump got. Fourteen percent of the vote. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Hmm. <laughs> I'm sure that has something to do with it. Well, he is still talking about how he didn't win win an Emmy all those years ago. Well, for I, The Apprentice. Is this a grudge? Still holding well, on to that. What he's worried about is when he goes down Tuesday. What will the crowd size be? Well, yeah, it's mm. always a consideration. I mean, number one, the whole place is decimated. If they did it like they did in Texas, it'll just. You know, send out an email to supporters. Make sure there's plenty there. I mean, there've been only 14 percent of them are supporters. That's no. the silliest thing I've ever heard. It's still like 5,000 people, and maybe many of them aren't even supporters anymore. Yeah, I don't know. It's oh, probably going to take rather. Sean Spicer that, with them. That, that's something that's been talked about, but I mean, there's no proof of anything. No, it, but there's it, something there. 
Mm. It smells a little fishy. Yeah. but I Maybe mean, that's just the hurricane. That may happen now all across the board. Every time a state comes up and it runs against the president, it's like, oh, how did they vote? Oh, well, we'll see how well, this will turn out. By the out. way, a uh, little update on the Alabama race. He, oh, yes. He lost. He did. So, and then started deleting all the tweets mentioning Luther every, Strange. Every lost. tweet that he ever put out <laughs> with Luther Strange's name on it. So he lost it. So maybe he's losing some of his power. This is the first out of like six Wrong. elections that he's backed that he's lost. Wrong. Or like he said, maybe we just, as a nation, are just tired of the winning. You're wrong. And so we're Did just he trying. Did say winning or whining? Winning. Oh, okay. And then we're just trying something else for a couple of days. Let's try some losing for yeah, a while. Yeah, just give it a shot. See how it feels. Holy cow. Oh, well. You know, life is good. Hey, our guest today, we're going to be talking about the weirdest thing. Sonic spicing. Sonic spicing? Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you believe that um, a flavor like sour has a sound equivalent? Does something mm. sweet have a different sonic quality? Interesting insight. They're finding out that if they just play certain music while you're eating a certain food, guess what? It might make it sweeter for you. Really? Or it could actually make it more, you know, sour or more salty. Even sound that makes it more squishy. Straight ahead, folks. We're talking about the future of food and uh, sonic seasoning. This is The Matt Townsend Show. There are four senses most people think about when they're eating a meal. Taste, touch, sight, smell. But there is a fifth sense that can make or break a meal eating experience, and that is sound. Here to speak with us today is Professor Charles Spence, a professor at Oxford Department of Experimental Psychology and the author of the book Gastrophysics, the Science of Eating. Uh, Dr. Charles Spence, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, it's a pleasure. Welcome to the show. Now, is it true that um, actually the, the sound that we're, we're listening to while we're eating could change how we interpret the taste of the food? Uh, absolutely, and I think it can do so in a number of different ways, in fact. Um, we rarely think about sound when we're eating. It's kind of the forgotten flavor sense. Right. Um, but it is there in the background always. Everything from the loud noise of certain restaurants or, or when we're eating in the air through to carefully curated music that may, through its speed or loudness, actually get us to eat more or to, or to, to drink faster than we otherwise uh, might. Um, and I think it's, 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 yeah, it's always there. It's, it's starting to be studied more systematically. And, and that really, rather than can music, say, change the taste of food, uh, we're now realizing it can and in many, many different ways. Wow. I mean, it, you, you can tell that they use music, um, shopping music, <laughs> that maybe makes you not think as much, that maybe puts you into a nice days so that you buy more. I buy kind of the psychology behind Muzak and things like that. But you're saying actually, and some of the research is showing, you can actually, something might taste saltier by just playing certain music, or it might taste uh, sweeter by playing different music. Uh, that's right. Um, so now in this kind of whole new area, it uh, goes under the name of, uh, sort of sonic seasoning. The idea is um, 
that we do associate certain music with sweet, certain music with sour, other music with salty or bitter tastes. Uh, we've even got music now to bring out the spiciness in a dish or the creaminess in a chocolate. Um, sounds bizarre, um, yeah. but it kind of all starts. Uh, we've been doing this for a decade now in the lab here in Oxford. Um, we're bringing people in, giving them something to taste, like maybe something sweet, milk chocolate or a, a bitter dark chocolate, and then put them in front of a virtual keyboard and ask them to, to, to play with the knobs and dials till they find a sound that matches what they're tasting. And they kind of ask, what, what, what do you want me to do? That's a bit bizarre. <laughs> but if you get 10 or 20 people, you'll find that the majority, if they have or are imagining a sweet-tasting food, will pick a note that's higher in pitch, whereas if they've got a, a, a dark chocolate or a black coffee taste flavor in their mouths, then they'll tend to go for lower pitch notes and more likely to go for sort of brassy-type instruments than uh, piano, say. And we have now these musical almost these musical menus saying if you're trying to construct a spicy music, make it sound like this, this kind of noise level, this kind of tempo and rhythm, and you can really provide those things to, to creatives to either pick sound off the shelf that's been you know, around for years that we're all familiar with that just so happens to be sweet, or to actually uh, design and create new pieces of music and soundscapes with a specific aim of having something that's nice to listen to, but which can be used to season your food uh, to help meet your own kind of taste world that you live in. Wow. Isn't that, I mean, I guess this is cutting edge uh, psychology, really. I mean, because it, then I start to wonder, what, what are we going to do with it? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, we're, we're trying to do uh, as much cutting edge psychology as we can here <laughs> in the department in uh, Oxford. Um, so it is kind of bizarre and wacky, um, but that's sort of fun, too, in that uh, quite often, you know, as a psychologist, you tell people about what you do and what you're researching, and then they say, well, I knew that already. Yeah. Uh, I don't need a psychologist to tell me that. <laughs> Duh. Uh, this is something that, that is like, one of the most surprising things. Who would have thought that music had a taste? It doesn't do literally, but nevertheless, it can change the taste of food. That is surprising to people. and makes it fun to actually sort of demonstrate with people um, um, uh, and convince them of something they didn't believe a moment before. How are we going to use it? Uh, now we, we're convinced it's real. Then um, I think we're still optimizing and fine-tuning so you know what is the sweetest music we've created some pieces others have created other sweet music pieces and we've kind of putting them all into the mix and getting people around the world to listen to those tracks and try and judge who's come up with the sweetest of all music who's come up with the most bitter music and then use that in for example um in uh it could be in healthcare settings or in uh, even in a cafeteria that opened just recently in vietnam the jing cafe they have said they're going to play sweet music all day long uh, <laughs> so that they can add a little bit less sugar to their cakes uh, and pastries. And hopefully it'll taste just as, as good as always, but we'll be having the sweet music to uh, counteract a slight reduction in sugar. So it could be uh, healthy. Uh, yeah, yeah, hopefully. Um, but I should say, I don't know how long-lasting these effects are. I know they work in the moment, in a day, um, on different people night after night. But if you at home were to... You know, get a uh, an app that would scan through all of the music um, on your mobile device and and just play you sweet tunes at meal times, of music that you like to listen to anyway. It just happens to be sweet. Would that work for a week, for a year, for a decade? If you mm. learned, listened sweet to sweet music every lunchtime, I'm not sure. And we kind of need to to, to do that research to know 
um, really in the long term. But I think it is coming. I've seen airlines too. British Airways launched a soundbite menu a couple of years ago based in, in part on our research uh, that, again, allowed you the passengers in long-haul flights to pick uh, a meal um, and then to tune in in the headset in the seat rest to music that had been specifically selected to bring out something in what they were tasting. It seems like it's it's going to take off because – Nowadays, people want an experience, and that this seems like another experience that takes life to the next level. That's right. Um, so I think yeah, we're, we are still in the um, the uh, the years uh, of the experience economy. It has kind of been growing and growing, and especially you hear amongst millennials. But I think from from our experience, it's all sectors of society are kind of interested in sensory stimulation, almost challenging their senses in in new ways. Um, and I think it's something that. Um, uh, yeah, it makes for an engaging experience. And importantly, that in the past, you know, we've had painters who've been inspired by the colors they see when they listen to music, kind of mm. synesthetes, who have these bizarre connections between their senses. And that has been used as kind of the, the impetus or the stimulus to, to make these new multi-sensory experiences. But now we're saying that, in fact, um, we all have surprising connections between the senses. We all think that sweet is high-pitched, I think, or most of us. Yeah. Most of us will, think, will say that, um, uh, you know, if I asked you, is a lemon fast or slow? Most people will say, it's got to be fast. Yeah. I don't know why, but it just has. Um, so we're, we all are full of these kind of surprising connections between our senses, where tastes have shapes and sounds and pitch and instruments attached. Um, and when you study that systematically, you can feed in to the creative process. And I, I see a, a growing number of um, music producers, sound design agencies, composers, even wine judges who are getting excited hmm. uh, by the findings and want to create something themselves, an experience based on a science that is hopefully engaging and, and, and makes you think in, in a different way about uh, yeah, uh, how, how your senses work and the kind of, what kind of world we live in. You bet. We're speaking with Professor Charles Spence, a professor at Oxford uh, Department of Experimental Psychology, about uh, his book, Gastrophysics, The Science of Eating. Uh, and so is, is this whole field then called, um, Charles, is it called gastrophysics? Uh, that's right. Um, so it's kind of a, a funny sort of technical sounding term, um, a new word, but there to try and capture, on the one hand, gastronomy um, and the other psychophysics. So the gastronomy saying I'm interested, and we are, who study this are, are interested in real food, in nice food experiences. And on the other side, the psychophysics is really a, a way of talking about sort of systematic psychology where you study people and give them lots of different things to taste and see how they respond. And that kind of scientific approach to the mind of uh, people like you or I who are tasting, who are enjoying food, that's kind of the subject matter. And to show we were not chefs as such, but our interest is really in showing all the other things that we never thought about that impact the taste of food. From music, through the weight of the cutlery in your hand, the color of the plate you mm. eat off, how many people are at the table, the lighting levels, all of these things do influence us in ways that we're now slowly starting to unpick and hopefully put to back together in engaging, immersive experiential ways that may ultimately be able to help nudge some of us at least towards a more sort of sustainable food behavior both for ourselves and and ultimately for the planet that's powerful it's um we talk about uh these but there are some people that have i guess it's called synesthesia and they've always had um 
a, a deeper connection to sound. Is that right? And and um, yeah, between between different um, kind of unrelated things. So I guess the most common kind of synesthesia would be those who see coloured letters or coloured units of time. For whom you know, Monday is literally blue and Tuesday is greenish orange. Um, and those people do exist, um, and I think they're really interesting. But to be a synesthete, your strange sensory connections have to be idiosyncratic. If they're shared by everybody else, hmm. they're not synesthesia. It's just kind of the, the way the mind works. So it's, it's, a, it's an unusual pairing of the senses or of, of, of inputs. And that's what makes it different from these kind of correspondences that we're studying, because these correspondences are present in all of us, I want to say. More universal, they're, yeah. They're, yeah, yeah they're, they're, um, they're, they're not as vivid as synesthesia, because when you taste a lemon, you don't literally see something fast. When I give you something sweet to taste, you don't suddenly hear a high-pitched sound as a synesthete might, but it's still there under the radar, and we have the techniques and the tools to, to measure and assess these connections, think about where they come from, why we have them, uh, and then to kind of feed them back to, to, to creatives to, to do something fun or engaging with. That's powerful. I mean, honestly, I, it, it seems like, again, if somebody lost their eyesight, you would, uh, you'd still be able to draw on these other sensory inputs, that, that, and it seems like they'd even be heightened. Um, that's right. That uh, uh, There is kind of a popular trend towards dining in the dark, uh, taking away the sense of sight to give people a different kind of dining experience and often, often sold as putting yourself in the place or experience a meal like a blind person might uh, by turning the lights off. Um, so I think that there, there is interest there. Um, and there's certainly the sense in which our brains are quite plastic and that if we lose our, our sight, that that bit of the brain at the back of the head that normally processes everything we see without the input from the eyes, it doesn't just lie vacant. Other bits of the brain and other sort of tasks say, well, I'll want a bit of that. No one else is using it. <laughs> I'll incorporate it so you find that those who are blind may be able to feel better, more uh, acute sense of touch, because they're recruiting not just the touch bit of their brain, but also the visual bit. When it comes to flavor, um, uh, the, the debate has been going on for centuries, I think, about whether those who are blind can smell more, smell better, mm. um, or not. And um, uh, it, it may be the case that the parts of the brain that we use to smell and to taste, located more towards the front of the head, are quite a long way removed from the bits of the brain that are used to hear and to see more towards the back and the backside of the head brain. And hence that distance makes it a bit harder for for one sense to take over another one if it's too far away, as it were. So um, I do think, you know, t taking away a sense does, we do use it ourselves sometimes in dining experiences, uh, be it blindfolding for a course, be it earplugs, in fact, obviously yeah. even my interest in sound, can be very powerful, or, or even eating without the aid of cutlery, just having food floating or hanging in front of the diners, just to change the interaction and make them think a bit more about yeah, how much of what I'm perceiving, enjoying, in a meal is really coming from which sense. <laughs> it's such an interesting world we live in. We will continue this discussion more with Dr. Charles Spence and uh, his book, Gastrophysics, The Science of Eating. Man, what will they think of next? And uh, what more do we need to learn? I mean, there's so much we just don't know, isn't there? We'll continue the journey in just a minute.
Welcome back, friends. We are talking with Professor Charles Spence, a professor at Oxford Department of Experimental Psychology and the author of the book Gastrophysics, The Science of Eating. And uh, Charles is walking us through some really powerful uh, new learnings about um, that, you know, drinks or I mean, and foods, they they and flavors, they they have a pitch, a correlating sound, Um, maybe the sweeter uh, Foods have a higher pitch sound in our psyche, in our head, and dark uh, dark chocolate, for example, might have a lower pitch sound. Um, is this – I guess, Charles, uh, how does this – how did this come to be? Why would we need to have pitch and sound as part of our eating or, our, or our, one of our senses as far as what we're eating? Yes, I um... It is surprising to us, uh, this connection between pitch and taste and between pitch and flavors and aromas and textures, too. Where does it come from? Um, Well, I think our idea is, um, on the one hand, to say, if you look back over the centuries and and the way that people have talked about flavors or aromas, perfumes and bouquets, um, then they use the language um, of sort of uh, uh, notes and harmonies, chords, Mm. and those those terms can be used just as well to talk about sound and music. So we kind of use the same sort of language to describe uh, uh, flavors and perfumes as we do for music. So there's some connection there. And and it sort of means something, I think, to all of us, maybe if I were to say, um, if I were to describe a smoky note, people would probably say that's low note, whereas a high note, you might be like the smell of lychee or citrus. That just intuitively means something. So where does it all come from? I think there are probably a few uh, origins. One of them, uh, it's kind of a just-so story, but um, nice nonetheless, which is that if you look at birth in newborn humans, chimps or rats, and you put a sweet taste on the tongue, what the newborn will do is stick their tongue out and up and lick to try and ingest the calories, the goodness for growth that is needed. Put a bitter taste on a newborn chimp, rat, or human's tongue and see what happens. The tongue will go out and down as a newborn tries to eject that thing that tastes mm-hmm. bitter. We're all born ejecting bitter-tasting foods because they might be poisonous. So if you just then think about what sort of gurgles would the babies make of those different species with the tongue out and down or up, it's kind of uh, uh, huh. difference in sonic quality. And that's in the world. All babies, of uh, across many species, will do that. It's kind of a universal statistic of the environment. And our brains spend all the time trying to pick up the statistics of the environment because some of those statistics are useful. If I, if I realize that low-pitched sounds generally come from bigger dogs and, and high-pitched sounds come from small dogs, I, I'm in a better position to judge whether to go through the garden gate and deliver the post right. without getting bitten. If I realize that fruits, on average, statistically go from green and sour and unripe to redder hues and riper and sweeter, I know which foods to, to, to buy or to, to collect in order to get the energy I need. These are all useful kind of correlation statistics of the environment. But our brain can't tell the useful ones from the useless ones. And this pitch and taste thing, which is all around us, is kind of useless for us to know but our brain picks it up nonetheless. We can sort of measure it in experiments in the lab or online and then sort of play the results back. And hopefully somebody will get inspired, take them and create something intriguing yeah. and entertaining. It almost seems like, too, it's it's highlighting the fact that we're so not present when most of us are eating. We're not present on the multi-sensory levels we could be. That's right. I, I, um, 
and a lot of the, we work a lot with chefs and mixologists and baristas um, and a lot of our work is really in a way trying to encourage diners to be more mindful about what they're eating um, to think more uh, and try and get away because you know, the, the single biggest tip I, I would have for people who are trying to uh, lose a little bit of weight would be then to turn the television off when you're, when mm. you're eating because that you know, is the single biggest distraction and the more distracted we are from the food the less sensations we're aware of, of taste, of texture, of aroma and of flavour and it's those sensations that really did help determine when we're full that's true. It would tune us in, wouldn't it? We'd know, okay, had enough. Uh, yeah, um, and so that means well, that's why TV is so bad, because that can distract you from the food and means that people will t- consume 35% more, depending on the kind of TV show they're watching, with a TV on than off. It also make, makes me worry about uh, straws. Drinking with straws, again, means that you're kind of removed from the aroma of the drink. It all slips into your mouth, slips down, almost without any sensations passing your mind, and as such, you end up consuming more than you would if you had a, a more textured, say, drink without the straw, or even if you had you know, the whole fruit itself rather than the fruit juice. Again, you get more sensory cues, and hence you're satisfied, satiated with less. Um, and whatever we can do, I think, then, to through... I mean, if I tell people, don't watch the TV when you're eating, or if I tell you you should eat more of this than that, that rarely seems to work in terms of changing behaviour. But our hope is if we can make... If we can appeal through the senses and make kind of perceptibly more enjoyable, engaging food experiences through sonic seasoning or through through something else, then uh, we'll lead people in through the senses and hopefully in that way nudge them towards uh, uh, better food behaviours. But I can also see... You know, some of these companies that don't make great food or healthy food for you anyway, using uh, these devices to get people to just buy more. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a way, I think the, the scientific insights, um, such as they are, are just that, uh, just insights about how things happen, how the mind works and why it does so. And then how those things are used uh, is, is anyone's guess, really. Um, right. They can be used uh, by food companies. Maybe to make you uh, buy more, but also maybe to deliver more of what you want, maybe Mm. a better food experience. Um, But they can also be flipped, and this is part of our work. As I mentioned a bit in the book is um, how we can take the insights and use them to help people who are in a hospital, in care homes, who are not eating enough, whose whose, hospital stays are being prolonged because they don't get what they need out of their food. Uh, Can we use it there? Can we use it to uh, shift us all from kind of a uh, meat-heavy diet towards more entomophagy, eating insects. Hmm. Something that everyone goes, I wouldn't want to eat those. (laughs) They can be delicious. If I tell you it's good for you, if I tell you it's good for the planet, it won't change your behavior. But if I can get you to taste one and then really savor the flavor and its unique qualities, then just maybe we'll be on the way to um, uh, changing behavior and uh, using these insights uh, for, 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 for good. Powerful stuff. Boy, that would have to be some really good music, Charles, to get me to to eat that. But I think I think you're onto something so powerful and honestly I think so revealing of us uh, of us as human beings and we appreciate your time and your great work. The book is Gastrophysics: The Science of Eating by Professor Charles Spence out of Oxford University. Boy, what don't we know, huh? Well, we'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio.
Happy birthday, Google. You made it. 19 years young. That's wow. amazing. You were just trying to do the math in your head of how old you were when Google came out. And I don't uh, think it was correct. No, it wasn't correct. It was. I was 29. Is that right? Wrong. Yeah, I was 20. Was I 29? That's a. Uh, that's amazing. Google is 19 years old. Think about that. You know what it also means? What? You're a millennial. <laughs> Google's a millennial. <laughs> yeah, it is. Totally is. Yeah. Google and Alphabet, they, they're, they're millennials. They may have caused <laughs> the whole millennial craze. Hey, we got to go back to this food thing. Do you think that playing music could change the pitch or change the taste of what you're eating? Maybe. Like, and have you ever had music that made you lose your appetite? Ooh, yeah, absolutely. What kind of music would that be? Country music. What? Yeah. Country music? Mm-hmm. That's, that's when you Great. eat Great, we ribs. just lost the middle of the country. Good job. <laughs> I love country music. So it is interesting, though. You know, we talked about sounds, at, you know, when we're eating. My wife... Only focuses on sound when when I'm eating or when any of us are eating. Close your mouth while you're chewing. Why is your jaw clicking? (laughs) Well, because, you know, because this meat is really tough. And then make sure your teeth don't touch the fork while you're eating. That annoys Um, a lot of people, apparently. I had a kid when I was when I was growing up. There was a father that every time he would take a spoonful of anything. This is what it sounded like. Um. Um, um. <laughs> well, sometimes you just want to share what's really good with others. So you want to inform people that this is so good. But we don't want you to do that. I mean, I think if I can, if I can hear you, your salivary glands squirting saliva into your mouth as you're eating something, then you need to shut your mouth. Because I don't want to hear that. And some people really are more sensitive to sound, too. So some people – and my, maybe your wife is what I would call a high sensitive. So she probably hears things. She, mm. she, she hears stuff. Mm. Yeah, like, mm. like you eating. Like what about Bob? This is, mm. this is the guy at your dinner scene. Mm. Mm. Uh. This is where someone's going to get hurt. <laughs> Eating corn on the cob. Is this corn hand shucked? <laughs> this is this just brings back too many memories. So scrumptious. Is this hand shucked? Mm-hmm. Would you like some more chicken, Bob? And he's like, "Don't give Bob more chicken." <laughs> oh, how funny is that? You know, um, it's such a universal thing, isn't it? And every one of us, in about a month or two, we're going to be sitting down with the family again, Thanksgiving, and we're going to relive Bob eating corn. We're like, oh, just (laughs) – or I mean, and there's some foods that are are harder to eat without really sounding like an animal. Really? Ribs. Ah, well, when you're when you're gnawing on bones, yeah. and then well, and then there's that licking of the fingers thing. Mm. Mm. You got to clean off each finger. There we go. 
There's that. There's uh, like my wife always had. We always have corn, like but not corn on the cob, just corn, and we have corn everywhere. Hmm. My kids eat corn. Like it almost has to be an aerial act. Like I can make music while I'm brushing my teeth. Speaking of corn, because people do have to brush their teeth after yeah. they eat corn. Oh, yeah. You know, just not changing, all people apparently changing the, <laughs> changing the shape of my mouth while I'm brushing my teeth. I can, you know, think of a song and then just kind of oh. change my the shape of my mouth, yeah. and it'll kind of you'll hear that tune. So you so you do that, and this is when your wife is like, "Stop it!" You know, I'm I think she's just grateful I'm brushing my teeth. Yeah, but she'd kind of like you to do it in another bathroom, <laughs> in another house. Down the street. Yeah, it's the food thing's a big deal. And how about when people drink? I only make that sound when I'm when I'm pretend drinking with my girls when they want to do like a tea party. No, but I I have I I have a son that he'll when he drinks you can hear it. And then it's like, do you say something? Because you don't want to destroy their self esteem. But you also don't you want him to just, get punched later. You could just flick him in the throat when he does that. Just reach over and just dink. Just flick just him. flick him right so in the Adam's apple. You just, just go right to violence. It's not I'm, violent. It's just kind of, you know, it'll learn him. So you, st- you, you, <laughs> you would stand up at the kitchen table, walk around the table, and yeah, then yeah, yeah. flick your kid Well, the if throat. they're so focused on the drink, they won't even see you move. Maybe it's That's a true. courtesy a thing. Attack. You know, your Could wife be. has spent all this time on this meal. Maybe yeah. she made a special drink. Right. Your kids just want the, your, their mom to know that they enjoyed the meal. Certain cultural – I mean, you want to slurp. Cer- certain countries, they like it when you have a good slurp. Do you slurp your soup? No. Really? Not, not a slurper? Not a slurper. Now, and yet if, you love Slurpees. I love a good Slurpee. But if, if, I, if I knew it pleased somebody, then I'd slurp like the biggest slurp you've ever met. Why are they called Slurpees when they're you really suck them through a straw? Well, because suckies aren't as neat. This, it's kind of a harsher term. We ought to do that next July 11th when it's 7-Eleven Day. We'll get a bowl of Slurpee. Or sucky. And we'll just get a spoon and we'll slurp the Slurpee. Yeah. No. no. I don't, I've never seen a Slurpee slurped. Well, if you that meant you've left it out too long. If you've got to slurp it. <laughs> Usually they're just, you know, they're frozen. So it's kind of a sucky. Probably not going to sell as well. It's not. It just doesn't have the same ring as the slurp. Um, Anyway, everybody's got their own little issue, right, when it comes to food, when it comes to to life. But just know the scientists are on it now. And so now we'll be able to just – instead of salting up your meal, you'll just listen to some salty music. (laughs) Some salsa music? Ooh. But this gastrophysics also goes into how you set up a restaurant. Oh, yeah. How you can manipulate people into making purchases based right. on their their environment and what how what you can ask. make a more fun meal for everyone. And really, honestly, we all ought to be more present when we're eating. You are putting something into your body. You ought to have your head engaged. Come on. Well, stick with us. We'll continue this journey, folks. Up next, uh, more fun, more insight from Matt Townsend show. And by the way, we're going to be covering uh, chronic fatigue syndrome. What happens when you have? A disease or a, 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 a sickness that nobody knows about or understands. It's very lonely. Straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. 
Good morning, everybody. Dr. Matt here, along with Jeff Simpson and, of course, Terry South. The gang is gathered. We're doing what we can to give you a leg up in life. And today we're going to be covering uh, the big story of Puerto Rico. What is going on? Have they been abandoned by us here in the United States? 3.6 million people on that little island, and uh, 1.6 million of them are, are without electricity. They're without water. People are dying because they're running out of diesel fuel to uh, to run the generators. Big, big headline, um, and yet uh, we don't hear as much about Houston. We don't hear as much about some of these other places that have been through major events as well. So, Well, well people are kneeling in football, Matt. That's right. We, we had the whole big kneeling yeah, in football issue. Let's focus on the big issue here. And the big announcement that Google's 19 years old today. And you can play games on their website. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's all that stuff. Oh, yeah. It's and great. then Puerto Rico still struggling. Oh, so yeah. really, it's happy birthday to you, Matt. To me? Yeah. Well, because they're rewarding you with all these games. Oh, yeah. So it's really like, yeah, they're it's paying like a gift back to you. But if only we had a gift for Puerto Rico. But that mm. will be next Tuesday. Right. President Trump will be making his way there. So we got a lot to cover when it comes to that big story. Uh, but first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Senate Republicans quickly deflected blame for yet another health care defeat away from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell just minutes after they decided against voting on a new iteration of repealing and replacing Obamacare. To, th- to the leader, thank you. It's complicated. It's difficult politics. Instead of quitting, you allowed us to move forward, Senator Lindsey Graham said, one of the bill's authors. To huh? anybody out there who thinks that Mitch McConnell has not done all he could, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know the Mitch I know. You don't know. Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana said uh, was saying that individuals close to President Trump, as well as their allies in the media, were already prepare- preparing this week to lay the blame squarely at McConnell's feet. He has uh, reportedly been mocking McConnell in meetings and Senator John McCain. Really? Yeah. Because yeah. why not? He's been calling him weak. He's like slumping his shoulders and look on Mitch McConnell. You know, that kind of thing. You used all of those excuses when you were dating, oh, didn't yeah. you? Everyone. Oh, it's political. It's it's not you. It's, yeah. it's the president. It's not me. <laughs> Apparently, President Trump has a great... Uh, uh, John McCain with a frowny face and the thumbs down, oh. like what he did to the the, the, oh, he the bill last night. He mocks them. He's he in mocks. meetings mocking them like a you know like a juvenile. Wow, it's great. Does does he know that McCain served our country? Yes. Uh, people are questioned. Does he realize he needs these votes to pass taxes if he wants tax reform, which he says I mean, he does? It seems like they could all easily shut out the president for the next three years. They could. And then everyone's like, yeah, well, you'll lose your job. Probably not. Mm. They sh- they've been shutting everybody out for years. Right. I don't know. Just fun, fun facts. Mm. Uh, the GOP plans to raise the lower individual tax rate from 10 to 12% while dropping the tax rate for the wealthiest of Americans from 396 to 35%. That's what they're doing with their tax plan. So the tax plan is raise taxes on the poor yep. mm-hmm. from 10 to 12%. 10 to 12, yeah. Mm-hmm. Lower taxes on the rich. Yep. From thirty five percent to uh, thirty nine to thirty five. Oh, yeah. it's it. It seems like and the, keep middle America without any change. Apparently, because I, I just found let me see my phone shut off. Uh, looks like they want to keep middle the middle. So the the lowest would be twelve percent. The middle is twenty five, and the high would be thirty five. Hmm. Okay. 
I mean, that's one way to do it. Says the White House intends to sell the plan as a tax cut for the middle class by doubling the standard deduction, which would leave many people paying no taxes. The standard deduction would almost double to $12,000 for a single filer, $24,000 for a married couple, meaning Trump can accurately argue that many more low-income earners would pay no taxes under his plan. The seven tax brackets would be collapsed to three, so they're trying to simplify the whole That'd process. That'd be nice. We have a tax plan that's totally finalized, Trump boasted Sunday. I think it'll be terrific. I think it's going to go through. While Trump will introduce the proposal in Indiana today, he is expected to leave details intentionally vague so Congress, their congressional tax writing committees, have flexibility to negotiate. Would I still get to pay about $600 to my tax planner? Oh, yeah, yeah, that won't change. It oh, seems good. a bit out of character for him to leave things vague. Yeah. yeah, he's really a detailed-oriented president, as we've all seen. <laughs> yeah. A lot of surprises, too. I mean, it, it, but could he? can he get this through? Because if it's up to apparently Mitch McConnell, he'll never get this through. Yes. So why are we talking about it? What's he going to do? Not get it through. Not get it through? <laughs> okay. He could just watch TV at the White House. I mean, I mean he, again, this is why he needs Republicans. Seems like you wouldn't want to beat up your Republicans – if you're going to need them to get this I, through. I, I don't know. He's supposedly this this great uh, deal maker, and he can reach across the aisle any time and talk to his buddy Chuck. Chuck a. Chuck Schumer. And yeah, try but, to... but he's still got to get it through in a bipartisan oh. way, at least. He's not going to get all the Dems working for him. I mean, there's other Democrats that can't stand the man. There's this a is, few of them. This is fun. Um, another announcement, Trump administration reducing overall annual refugee admissions to the U.S., allowing at most 45,000 refugees to be admitted to the country next year. Officials at the State Department recommended 50, while the Department of Homeland Security wanted the number at 40. So it looks like they just hit right in the middle. 45,000? 45,000. 45, hmm. And it's... The cap hasn't been that low since 2006. These are refugees. Yeah. Fleeing other countries. In war and, you yeah. know, yeah. So that's good news for somebody, I guess. Yeah. Bad news <laughs> for every refugee that has nowhere else to go because Americans and others have started wars in their country. Or not started them, but... Contributed. Yeah. To the outcomes. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. then I guess they'll just go to Europe. Well, they're starting to shut their borders too more. Yeah. Hey, they've got, uh, some would argue, better health care there. Yeah. Well, or, they'll need it. Or health care to speak of. Hmm. Okay. So we'll see what happens. Twitter just changed the game after 11 years. 140 character limit is defining, that's its defining feature. The social media company announced Tuesday it's testing out an extended 280 character limit with some users. So not all. Mainly, I think power users want this because they're tired of trying to get all that information out in such a short amount of time. Uh, proud of how thoughtful the team has been in solving a real problem people have when they're trying to tweet, says CEO Jack Dorsey. It's a real problem out there, Matt. No, it's not. This, is, the reason, this is really the only reason Twitter is succeeding. Yeah, it's a short. It's efficient. Yeah. Condensing is a good thing. I mean, you've read a lot of the emails mm -hmm. here at BYU Radio, and you probably thought that could have been written in a sentence or two. Mm -hmm. it's, it's addition by subtraction. Twitter says uh, users tweeting in Korean, Japanese, and Chinese tweet more frequently because they don't run into the character constraint as often. Really? Their words are more succinct and, and have better definitions than, I guess, ours do. Yeah. The company hopes the 280 character limit will encourage other users to tweet more as well. Twitter users obviously have some thoughts. Uh, one of the things on Twitter I saw yesterday 
was that like you know 140 to 280 that's like the entire collection of harry potter books yeah. You can get that all out in one tweet. Well, maybe the problem this is going to create is it's going to make it even um, – it's going to make it harder for people to troll you because now they're going to have to read more. Oh, uh, maybe. Right? Yeah. They, just, ah, they just, just have to point. read less. Especially if your troll can't get to the point. Yes. And exactly. it just kind of takes a lot. And this, uh, this tweet was funny. It says, if you're upset about the 280 characters thing, just imagine what John Kelly must be thinking. John Kelly. Trump's oh his his right hand man his rank you know, know. the guy he, running the no, White the House is he like, heard that oh. he's like what we're back to all those pictures of his head in his hands that was a delayed reaction there like, well it's because it took that long to read the tweet do yeah. you really think there are people out there that are saying ah, I'll wait until they uh, allow me to have more characters before I join Twitter no I just think there's people on Twitter complaining but who they are they're the big talking head people. Yeah, the, the the people that want – well, that's the, the biggest complaint is that Twitter doesn't u- listen to its users. Right. Right. They Like, like the, recently they made it so if you share a link, that doesn't count against the 140 character limit. And people are like, well, yeah, why? Why would you make that part? I mean, so it made it, it well, so it's that – benefiting you, you right? So you, you look at a, a – and all it is is you know, people put like the link out and then they try to follow it with a couple more tweets and then it's all disconnected and you don't have a thought. Yeah. Right? You just have multiple things that went out. Can you not put a hyperlink onto the text of your tweet? Yeah, but it counts – well, no, you can't hyperlink. Oh, okay. So the link will come in after and that takes away – you know what you can actually put out there. So just they, there's questions like that. People want to be able to delete or edit a tweet, and they won't let them do. They let they let you delete tweets, but you can't go back in and edit something mm. unless you mm. want to. Yeah, that's yeah. President Trump is the master of the delete tweet, right? And he 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 put out a couple. He called the uh, the Prime Minister of Spain the President of Spain. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. Hard. And so everyone jumps on. I'm like, oh, look, you made a mistake. And like, okay, whatever. President, prime minister, he could have gone in and edited that. Yeah, and he taken just deletes out, it. Put in the, but you just have to either leave it or you just delete it. And then he gets accused of deleting things, and yeah, you just can't win. You can't win. That's why but nobody the, needs Twitter. <laughs> the bigger, the bigger thing is there's a very limited number of people that use Twitter. Exactly. It's not a. It's more the Facebook. It side seems of like really Twitter's turning into Facebook. That's what they keep saying. It's doing what it can. When it goes to when it goes to the bigger, yeah, two hundred characters. I mean, now absolutely. you're. Hey, welcome to Facebook. You're so, writing books. So nobody needs Twitter, Doctor Matt. Yeah. By and the way, you can tweet us um, at the Doctor Matt Show. <laughs> but <laughs> tweet the show. I think what's happening is Twitter wants to be Facebook, but Facebook wants to really be its sister company, Instagram. And Instagram really wants to be Snapchat. Well, no, they don't want to be Snapchat. They just keep stealing every, all their good yeah. ideas, and well, then Snapchat can't ca- catch up, right? Right. So. That's, that's, that's how you own them. I knew two of those things you just said, really? Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Well, someday you'll be hip like me, 48-year-old hip man. Hmm. And someday hip. you'll need a hip replacement. Too late. <laughs> Getting closer to that. Every day. Okay, interesting stuff. Let's get to the uh, the headlines, the empty news headlines. Empty News We is named after me, Matt Townsend, MT News. Headlines. The MT News team. First on the scene, fifth on facts. These are important information points. Jeffrey. So have you ever seen anything on TV that's made you panic? And I'm not talking just during the election. Yes, I have. Okay. So there were some television viewers in Southern California who were a bit startled 
when an apocalyptic emergency alert flashed on their screens. Ooh. So this is the Orange County Register. I'm from Orange County, so this is a bit close to home. Uh, reports a woman says she was watching HGTV on her cable service on Thursday when the alert flashed across the screen. Uh-oh. Video shows the message included the voice of a man warning that in the last days, extremely violent times will come. What? The cool. news. The newspaper says cable customers on other systems also got the message. A spokesman tells the newspaper that viewers should have seen a typical emergency broadcast test, but a technical malfunction caused it to go on longer than it should have. He says the broadcast picked up an audio feed that bled into the alert. The cable companies say they're investigating. So I wonder if maybe right. the, maybe the audio no. from like an evangelistical or an evangelic broadcast no, came on there. No, you no. don't think so? There's some guy that's the son of the boss, of the owner, the owner yeah. and he was messing around. He's kind of got a real weird personality. Was it like bring your nephew to work day or something yeah. and he kind of snuck off and on his own? he three buttons and he's like, the world is destroyed, <laughs> Seth. Yeah, you, don't, you don't just happen to bleed audio into There's, the exact I mean, quote that calls for the end of the world. Audio doesn't bleed. Maybe well, it does, but it's never what you want it. Bleed. Yeah. Maybe the guy that was so convinced that the end of the world was going to be this last Saturday was behind this. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But you know that the minute that the owner of that organization heard what was going on, he immediately said, Jesse! And he started chasing <laughs> his nephew. I'm telling your mom and you're grounded. <laughs> you are so in trouble. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So let me ask you this. Do you wish that there was a way for you to know whether or not your feet smelled without asking one of your coworkers to do it and offending them possibly? Ooh, do I wish I had a way to do this? Yes. No. Do you wish you could know the stink level of your feet? Well, my feet don't stink. My feet, my feet smell like blossoms in springtime. Alternative facts. No. Well, I don't, I don't, I've never thought of this. This is a great question. So this is in Japan. Okay. There is a cute little robot dog named Hannah Chan. Oh, I love robot dogs. Kind of sounds like Leanna Tan. Yeah. Uh, Hannah means nose in English. Okay. Hannah has a sensor in its nose. It's trained to sniff your feet. Oh, neat. And if your feet smell fresh and dandy, Hannah will wag its tail in delight. Do you have a dog at home? <laughs> no. Okay. Not since I had him check my feet. <laughs> so if your feet are bordering on stinky, it will sound a warning bark. What does that okay. sound like? The warning bark? Yeah. What would that sound well, like? Well, we, we've got we've – got, uh, I think we're going to uh, Ron Broca here oh. in a second. Um, but – if your feet are stinky, stinky Hannah feet. will fall over. I guess oh, Hannah see, passes out, maybe? That's just offensive to you, though. I mean, imagine the impact on your self-esteem if you have stinky feet. True. Every time your little Hannah-chan dog comes over. How much would you pay for a robot like this? Zero dollars. What? Well, because you, you're going to spend hundreds of dollars in therapy. Okay, but what about in a place like Japan where it is customary to, before you enter a home, you take off your shoes? Well, what? Okay. May, does the dog just sit by the door? <laughs> <laughs> and if the dog sits by the door and sniffs feet and then – Stick your feet up to Hannah's nose before you enter our home. But then what do you do with the guy with the stinky feet? Do you like not allow him in? Sorry. There's a screening process in every home in Japan. Hannah Chan says you stink. <laughs> so, sorry, we're going to need to 
have you go outside and here's a bucket. $9,280. What? Yeah. To have your somebody sniff in your feet? I'd yeah. do it for 200 bucks an hour. <laughs> that's, your, that's your price point. Huh? And I'll even talk them out of it. I'll like say, you know what? It's not you. It's your feet. Is it's that can't. another one of the excuses you used when you broke up with your girlfriends? Yeah. It's, it's not, not you. Not it's your you. Hannah Chan says your feet stink. Sorry. Okay. So you've already mentioned you've – You've led us to believe that your feet are just rosy smelling. I, you could eat breakfast off my feet. They're so great. Hmm. Well, I wonder what the, the feet of the other MT News team smells like. Hmm. And speaking of that, yeah. Ron Brokaw is live at this factory where they produce these dogs uh, to give us some more information. Cool. Are you sure these dogs are functioning properly? Well, I don't know. Maybe they've got a short of their wiring. Don't you dare judge me. This is a genetic problem, okay? Just, just go to commercial break or something. Imagine for a second that you had an illness that no one understood or even believed in. Think of how, uh, you know, how would people treat you? How frustrating would that be for you? I mean, and who could you even talk to about it? At times, you'd be called attention-seeking or lazy, while your self-esteem and personal morale take a hit after hit. That kind of loneliness could be crippling to a person. So how could you survive something like that? In her new book, uh, Through the Shadow Lands, science journalist Julie Raymeyer walks us through her similar experience and how she was able to find purpose and joy while on the healing path. Julie, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I've, it's amazing this, how this topic came up because I've had two or three clients, three clients now over the last two months diagnosed with, um, with something that may even be chronic fatigue syndrome, uh-huh. and they are going through exactly what you went through, where they, nobody knows exactly what they've got. They've been to 10 specialists, and everybody just sends them to another thing. There's a little hope that maybe we have a diagnosis, and in reality, nothing happens. It's, it was, it's so difficult for these people. It is a very difficult process, and it really feels like you kind of fall off the edge of the earth, like you expect that the medical system will be there for you, that, you know, there is a way of understanding what's going on, and then you discover that none of it, None of it is there. It's chronic. Is it called chronic fatigue syndrome? You, you, in your article, you talk about how when you have a disease that nobody understands or gets, they don't even. You don't even have a name that helps you. That's right. Understand yes. it. Even even at the level of name, you feel abandoned. So you know the most common name for this illness is chronic fatigue syndrome, but it's a terrible, terrible name <laughs> because it suggests that this is just you know, being tired all the time. And it's really not just being tired all the time. It's a, it's a great misunderstanding. I mean, for me, for example, I would literally get paralyzed. Like I couldn't turn over in bed sometimes. It's a very different thing from just mm. being tired. So then the, the kind of alternate name is, is myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is quite a mouthful. Um, I tend to call it uh, MECFS which is, you know, for myalgic encephalomyelitis and chronic fatigue syndrome, which many federal agencies now call the illness. Hmm. M-E-C-F-S. And what are some of the symptoms that, that people are looking for? So 
beyond being tired, which is true, is a you know a kind of devastating level of fatigue is part of it. But more importantly, the hallmark symptom is that exercise makes you feel much worse. Hmm. And that's not something that is just, you know, an extension of what one ordinarily feels. Usually if you exercise, you know, you may feel tired immediately afterward, but overall it makes you feel better. With chronic fatigue syndrome, the next day you feel terrible. You feel much worse than you did before. And uh, the thing that I learned from experience, and that I think pretty much all patients learn eventually, is that the only way I could be active was to stop the very first moment I thought, I'm a little tired. And if I did that, then I could avoid the crash the next day, and that allowed me to maximize how active I could be. There are other symptoms that are important, too. Uh, Patients experience cognitive problems. You know, you just can't think straight. That includes neurological problems like the ones that I have had um, with not being able to walk. Another important symptom is what's called orthostatic intolerance. When you stand up, your body can't regulate your blood pressure and heart rate. Mm. And so that's why patients so often feel just terrible when they're standing. And it's not just a matter of getting dizzy. It's, um, you know, a general kind of just feeling terrible when you stand up. And you, I mean, the the funny thing about this then, so they, it sounds like they would then send you to a cardiologist who would then send you to a neurologist who would then right. send you to a rheumatologist. And meanwhile, you're not getting any answers. You're not getting any treatment. Um, then, then they start reaching a point with like the clients I've worked with where uh, they start thinking it's just... Um, it's something else. It's psychological. It's psychosomatic. Exactly. You, you know, there's no, there's no real cause for any of this except your brain, your mental state. Right. This comes up over and over again, and I think pretty much, you know, again, every, every patient at some point ends up facing this. I went to see a neurologist who specialized in gait disorders, and when he couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And he said that I must have conversion disorder, which basically is that it's all in my head. Mm. And, you know, doctors don't like not having answers. Yeah, right. And so, unfortunately, they tend to fill that gap with this explanation that it's just psychological. That It, it seems like it's because the psychiatry side of medicine seems like the least understood and explored. Uh, right. And so yeah, that's so the, the easy basket me, to throw it in. Right. The thing for me about that was certainly there's a level that it's it's offensive, but I could get over that. What I couldn't get over was that it was so useless. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So now what? We don't know. We don't know what to do. Exactly. With yes. When the neurologist said that about conversion disorder, I was like, OK, so how do we treat it? And he had nothing to say. <laughs> you know, it was just basically a way of getting rid of me. That really is what um, comes out in your book uh, through the Shadowlands is that there's there's just this lonely, hopeless journey that you're on with with, and you turn to the supposed experts and they can't help you. So you turn to other experts, you think, but they're kind of on the they're on the cusp of of normal or of acceptable. And um, all sometimes they, they have extreme, you know, measures, extreme ideas. Talk about talk about that journey. Yeah, so after I got diagnosed, then I turned to Dr. Google. and to <laughs> By the way, he's 19 bit. today. Yeah, 
<laughs> Happy birthday, Dr. Google. Happy birthday. Um, knows a lot for being 19 years old. Really does. <laughs> um, and I discovered that there was precisely one chronic fatigue syndrome specialist in the entire San Francisco Bay Area that I could find on Google. And so I went to this person, and he had things in his office like, you know, a picture of a nubile young woman lying on her side with her smooth hip and an advertisement for a cellulite treatment, which completely creeped me out. I'm a science writer, and, you know, I expect evidence-based treatments, not cellulite removal treatments. (laughs) Um, As it turned out, he did have some reasonable-sounding things to offer. It was hard for me to evaluate exactly, but, you know, various supplements and scientific-sounding ideas, although none of them ended up helping. And I discovered that the people who I could find initially who seemed like they had anything to offer at all lived in this kind of borderland between <laughs> like real doctors and quacks. Yeah. And it was exceedingly uncomfortable for me. Mm. But you have nowhere else to go. That's right. That's right. Well, except as it turns out, I did have one other place to go. It just took me a long time to get there. And that was the patient community. So initially, I was very skeptical of the patient community. I went on to online forums and I was shocked by the desperation of patients. It just seemed like a lot of really miserable people. And I was also shocked by the unscientific treatments that they tried. Um, you know, things like shining a red light up your nose. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. Uh, that That's just, one way to do it. Yeah, it did not seem like plausible treatments to me. But then I got even sicker. I got so sick that I often couldn't turn over in bed. And and I reached a real level of desperation where I'd truly run out of all reasonable options. And so I ended up turning back to the patient community with a kind of open-mindedness that I had not had before. And I ended up pursuing a treatment that initially I was, again, exceedingly skeptical of the Patients claimed that by taking really extreme measures to avoid mold, they had experienced these incredible improvements. Hmm. And I saw no reason to believe this was true for me. I had never lived in an obviously moldy house. I had never like gone into a building and suddenly felt much worse. Uh, I'd lived in lots of different places. It never seemed to matter. And I also thought that this idea had kind of a bad smell about it, as it were. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't know that much about it, but... And I knew that there was something true about the idea that mold could cause health problems, but I also had a vague sense that the science had been stretched beyond the breaking point. So I was very skeptical, but I was also out of reasonable ideas. So the only thing that was left were unreasonable ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess is that the key that you you have to keep searching and you had, I guess, tried the medical avenue and and gone to every credible source that you knew of there. Then you then by going to the patient community and and not giving up, you were eventually led to kind of follow the mold track. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and part of what appealed to me about that idea was that 
it was a kind of testable hypothesis. What these patients told me was that I should go to the desert for two weeks with none of my own belongings, since my own stuff presumably might be contaminated with mold, and that at the end of that time, that when I went home, I would react really clearly and strongly to my own stuff. That was their prediction. They said I might or might not feel better while I was there, but when I went home, I'd really react to my stuff, and then I would know that mold was the problem for me. Hmm. And I decided it was worth a try. So you head to the desert. That's exactly right. So I headed off to the desert. We're speaking, by the way, with Julie Ray Meyer, who's the author of the book, Through the Shadowlands. She's a science journalist uh, that's talking about her own experience, um, ba- basically battling a, a CFS or MECFS, um, which is myalgic encephalomyelitis. Well done. Wow, that's a that is a mouthful. Um, <laughs> chronic fatigue syndrome. And uh, But I think you're teaching us some interesting principles about how any of us could go through, you know, kind of an undiagnosable problem. And one of the things I'm hearing is you used you, – you, you weren't able to necessarily use uh, science at all times, but you used the scientific method. Absolutely. That was really important to me because I felt like I needed some way of, of staying grounded, particularly as I began to pursue – ideas that I was skeptical of, then I needed to know that I wasn't fooling myself or, um, you know, going off on a, on a total wild goose chase and convincing myself it was real when it wasn't. Huh. And, and really the idea for you to get out to the desert, um, to Death Valley, um, uh, and do this science, this scientific approach of leaving all of your stuff at home, going and staying there for two weeks, where mold doesn't grow, I guess, because of intense heat, um, or doesn't, I guess it doesn't grow as much. Right. Um, you, you also, it gave you a break. It gave you a chance, a, a vacation of sorts. It did. It ended up being a really rather profound experience for me um, in, a, in a way that surprised me a lot. By the time I went, I really felt as though I was going to the desert to die. I was so at the end of my rope, Hmm. you know, I was out of ideas, I was really too sick to even take care of myself, though I was living by myself, I didn't have family to turn to, I was running out of money, I just couldn't see a path forward for my future, and so by the time I went, I just had this feeling like... The way I had lived my life up to that point, like trying to keep everything together, be a good citizen, a good, you know, build my career, contribute to society, like I just couldn't do it anymore. And and I didn't know what that meant. I mean, I, I didn't actually expect to, you know, be carried out in a coffin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I just had this very strong feeling about it that that somehow the path I had been following was at an end. And when I was there, I kind of discovered what that meant. Like, I found that all of my expectations about my life fell away. Like, I gave up on all of the things that had felt so critical and important to me all my life. And I discovered this feeling of freedom, really. Like, it was enough for me to just be alive, you know, to just 
be there and be breathing to hmm. to you know sweep out the sand in my tent like that felt like accomplishment enough for me and i discovered a kind of joy that i really hadn't been able to feel before in all of my kind of effort and busyness and and a a, a kind of spaciousness emerged from that that i had never imagined as a possibility for me is it is it possible that the this the kind of cuz you're you're basically um sharing with us a spiritual like transcendent moment um yes, but did, so. is it possible that the spiritual moment is what caused the healing well you know there's there's no way for me to know for yeah, sure but but um, it's it's interesting how that's so where you go is about this major mind change you had right Right, and and this is one of the things that I do a lot of thinking about in the book is trying to trying to tease out the role of spirituality and psychology and kind of like like what's reasonable to expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because when I first got sick, I very much thought of it in kind of psycho spiritual terms, and I my expectation was that I could just kind of grow my life, and that eventually the symptoms would fade away. And that, you know, didn't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And so, um, so on the one hand, yes, it's definitely true that I ended up having this kind of extraordinary um, improvement just at the time that I had this extraordinary kind of spiritual experience. But it's also true that I'm someone who is very oriented toward self-growth. Yeah. And so if it had happened at a different moment, odds are that I would have been in the midst of some other kind of spiritual growth. Right. (laughs) You know, perhaps not quite so dramatic as in Death Valley. That was a very intense experience for me. But I could easily have credited some other aspect of spiritual growth. And when, you know many others had not in fact improved my health. So it's it's hard yeah. to tease out. Yeah. And, and maybe it's both, it. right? Or maybe exactly. it's cuz it's so complicated. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it's both. And I think trying to um divvy these things up and say, you know, if an illness is real, then it is strictly physical and if it's psychological it, and if it has any psychological component that means that it's a you know fake illness yeah right that's no. really really misguided and that in fact we are like our physical and spiritual and psychological selves are so tightly woven together that often we really can't make these distinctions no and maybe too that's what has to happen is as your body was healing um it also allowed a space for more spirituality to come in Yes, I think that's an excellent point. And to put that in somewhat geeky terms, there's a difference between causation and correlation. Exactly, right. Yeah, so, you know, causation says, okay, my spiritual growth 
caused my improvement. Mm-hmm. Correlation is just, well, they went together. Yeah. And the very tricky thing is, you know, what we actually see is correlation. These two things went together. The causation could go either way. This is exactly what you were saying. It could be that the spiritual growth led to the physical improvement. It could be that the physical improvement led to the spiritual growth. Yeah, absolutely. And we just don't have a way of knowing. But, but I guess what's super powerful, Julie, is you somehow got there to have the healing. And something else uh, to me was driving you, uh, you know, at a deeper level. It got you to the place where you could heal physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, or begin the healing, really, because this you you, you still battle this. I mean, right. you then tell the story about going, I mean, getting into the moldies and uh, learning a lot about mold, but then moving back home or going back to your house, feeling better until the neighbor's house floods and start yes. sending mold spores over to your house. Yes, which has been my, my struggle of recent months. My, my next-door neighbor's house flooded, and they made some unfortunate decisions that led my house and land to be basically fumigated Ugh. with mold many, many times, which has um, made it very difficult for me to be in my own home. And in fact, I've spent much of the last, oh, eight months um, living in a van um, that I've converted um, which, you know, is not what I would order up. I love my home, and yeah. um, I love being, uh, you know, having that stability. At the same time, man, oh, man, it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, know? it probably is, and Going isn't into it? these, you know, beautiful places in the wilderness, and uh, it's... Um, it's been it's been a kind of wonderful adventure and also just a major major drag. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it, it, it's interesting how that goes together. Um, uh, we only have a couple more minutes, but first of all, tell us how you're doing now overall, and and really, what advice do you give to somebody um, who's going through either uh, MECFS or any other you know kind of undiagnosable you know illness? Right. So at this point, I'm doing well as long as I am successful at avoiding mold. And, I mean, doing well on the level of, you know, like a couple weeks ago, I climbed Arapahoe Pass um, outside of Boulder, which is uh, starts at 10,000 feet and ends up at 12,000 feet. Wow. Um, so, yeah, when, as, long as, I'm, as long as I'm free of mold, I'm really great. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, darn, pretty darn wonderful. I'm yeah. so grateful. And advice uh, for others that yeah, are... advice for others. Gosh, there's so many different things that come to mind that I'd like to say. Um, I guess a big part of it is just to keep on going and, um, and to find ways of kind of embracing the experience as much as it totally sucks. I don't mean just, like, have a good attitude, <laughs> Which, you know, often I think actually having a bad attitude can be a lot more helpful. <laughs> yeah. Having a good old wine because you've got a lot of good reasons for it. <laughs> but so at the true. same time, I think there's a way that it's possible to say, okay, this is the experience I'm having, and I'm going to suck the marrow out of it. You know, I'm going to live this perfectly wretched experience as fully as I can. And, um, to kind of say yes to it without necessarily liking it. Mm. Yeah. No, and that's probably the best advice we can give is almost accept what it is, accept it and 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 start learning and then follow I like I like I think you said, follow 
your heart, follow the science, and uh, and just keep digging. Don't give up. Julie Raymeyer's her name. The book, Chronic Fatigue, uh, or the, sorry, the book is called Through the Shadowlands, and it is her personal walk through a, her experience with uh, a disease that hasn't effectively been named or even understood. And it's a, I think it's a great uh, guide for anybody that's going through a similar process. We will continue the learning right here on the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, Brent, Brett Hunt, um, at Brett underscore tweets, uh, he, he gave us the answer about why they call Slurpees. Slurpees. Oh, good. And okay. not suckies. Because Slurpees, he says, it's most likely gets its name from the sound you make at the end of the Slurpee when you slurp that last bit through the spoon straw. That's a good point. You're trying to Slurpee. get every last ounce yeah. of that Slurpee it's out that of the cup. It's that 1% of the last slurp. It's not the 99% of the other just flowing ice flow into your gullet. But then maybe they should just call it a tappy. Because instead of trying to get it with a straw, usually you pick up the yeah. cup and you try to tap the uh, bottom tappy. of it. Yeah. Tappy. tappy. But tappy. Too close to taffy, maybe. Yeah. And I, I think know. that's what Terry does to his boy when he's <laughs> making noises, chewing. He taps him. <laughs> so I think we didn't want to we didn't want to confuse that. Hey, we have some more empty news for you um, that that really is important if if you're into bats. But Are who, you into bats? Uh, just baseball bats. I'm guessing, uh, and these are a couple of local stories. I'm guessing the the kids at this high school are not fans of bats. No, they might like Batman, but there's a there's a bat infestation at the Salt Lake City High School, and it prompted it to cancel its after school program so that school workers could root out the flying mammals. Ooh. Yeah, uh, I know we don't pay you much as a teacher, but can you get in the cafeteria and just uh, grab about five of those bats? That'd be great. Uh, watch out. Don't let them bite you. <laughs> so janitors at the at the city's West High School rounded up more than 300 bats from Monday through Wednesday in a three-day period. That's 100 bats a day. Wow. So uh, it prompted the school to close its doors Wednesday afternoon. Uh, some flying bats were caught mid-flight by janitors. After that, they were probably like, I deserve a raise for this. Others were found sleeping in classroom corners. Uh, Salt Lake City School District spokesperson Jason Olson says the high school lives in, or it lies in a migratory bat path. Oh, oh that's good to know. Yeah, bat path. Hmm. That's a, I think that's that's where Batman always flies his plane. Yeah, he's in the bat path. So this is actually... Uh, above average. So they, they do typically get bats at the school, but this year it was above average for some reason. I'm not sure why. Well, it's because we're all, it's because of um, STEM. They're doing all the STEM work now in high schools, so everybody's trying to get above average. How do you think that would affect your test scores if you're sitting there in class trying to take a test and there's this bat fluttering around bat your head? Guano <laughs> hitting your, it's, it probably doesn't help. It's very distracting. But bats are cute. Once you get through their leathery winged arms and their kind of nasty rat bat body. Once you get your rabies shot, they're just as cute as can be. Uh, Don't you just love snuggling with a rat? (laughs) That is gross. So now we're going from from bats to cougars. Ooh. 
So another local story, and this is apparently, according to you, this is not something that is new. This happens, happens all frequently. Of the time. But uh, there were some Utah students who were arrested and facing criminal mischief charges after defacing BYU's Cougar statue yeah. before the teams played in week two. Oh! I know. It's the rivalry, right? So on the rivalry, the Utah fans defaced BYU Cougar stuff. And the Cougars, I don't know if the Cougars, they do. They do. So they probably, They've done they it. would have gotten away with it. I think of Scooby-Doo. I would have gotten away with it, too, except they went back to take pictures of their work. Yeah, not very smart. Which, why didn't they just do while they were there? Duh. And they're wearing their, they're probably wearing their Utah regalia, their, like, their jerseys or their shirts. Good point. And, I've got another theory, though. What? What if it was BYU fans? What if? What if? What if, what if BYU was doing their own cougar? What if BYU, uh, the football team, was doing so poorly that BYU fans just took it to the extreme? And oh, oh, that is yeah, playing the old false flag deal. No, no, that could never happen. No one would try to deface your own cougar, right? We're still talking about the statue here, right? Oh no, I, was, okay. I thought we had moved on. <laughs> To another story. Um, anyway, that's not funny. But um, they caught the guys, too, and the guys had paint on them, didn't they? Yeah. They had paint on their, yeah. like, hands. All right. So it was probably these guys. Yeah. And it, many would say that's, you know, that's Utah. But I, I graduated from the bars. University of Utah. So I would have known better. And I graduated from BYU. Wait a minute. I Where would, were you three weeks ago at around 12.30 p.m.? I was up in Salt Lake City picking up bats. Okay. Yeah. Your out story of, checks. Out of my kids. It school. checks. Yeah, totally good. Let's uh, take a quick break. When we come back, Baus is in the house. McKenna Baus will be with us talking about a little mind bender about happiness. It might just, it seriously, might blow your mind. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome to her house. She is looking about. She is here to break down things you didn't know now. Her name is McKenna Baus. Baus is in the house, and uh, she she comes in with little mind benders, little research data points that might blow your mind. I, and today you're fun. talking happiness? Yeah. So a lot of times when we think about being happy, you know, we're thinking about... Just that that is the ultimate goal. That's it. You, I mean, you got to be happy. Yeah. Uh, you know, everything you're doing, if you're feeling any emotion, happy is the one to feel. <laughs> That's right. And there's some studies showing that, you know, that may not be the healthiest course forward. Like, because happy would, I guess, presume that you feel no negative. Exactly. You only feel positive. Correct. And so there's a study, uh, there's a couple studies actually that have been done um, all about the idea of emotional diversity. Hmm. And what they are coming together to figure out and to show is the fact that you're going to be a lot healthier if you're feeling a wide range of emotions. And that includes negative ones. Interesting. But if you're having just a narrow range of emotions that's often associated with higher rates of inflammation and a lot of other stuff. But when you have that wide range, you're going to have it 
less medication use, lower government health care costs, and fewer days in the hospital. Really? Mm-hmm. Having the wider range? The wider range, including the bad. Well, because if all you think you have to be is happy, then it seems like you're like, if you're not feeling that, then I got to go to the doctor to find out why. I need, to, I need more medicine. I need more drugs. I need more everything. Yeah, that's part of it. Another part of it, I think, is there's almost a stress that comes along with trying to maintain this Happiness. level of control yeah. over your emotions that isn't something... That is reasonable to expect anybody right. to Well, and wouldn't you have. need – you'd need bad days to know that you just had a really happy day. Exactly. I think you know you, the highs complement the lows. Yeah. One of the things that they've looked at is a possible sort of reason or why this might be the case. They're looking at the, um, the idea that, you know, in the environment, biodiversity, um, that – increases the resilience of an ecosystem, things like that. And it's the same concept with our emotions that when you have a bunch of different emotions that you're able to cycle through, you spend less time stuck on the bad ones. There's less anxiety and stress associated with all of that as well. You you, You need diversity. You need ethnic diversity. You need biodiversity. And you need emotional diversity. Correct. And if not... You're going to and it'll end up costing you more, more stress, more anxiety. And I too, I guess then you're never happy where you are. Right. So part of being happy is being OK to have a bad day. Yeah, I think that that's a definitely a really finding healthy place to happiness be. in that day. For sure. Um, and I mean, I should, you know, make it clear. It's not confirmed that it's the emotional diversity is what is causing yeah. the better health. Um, but there is a correlation that there. That's sure right. about. And I think that, you know, it for me at least, it it makes me even have more reasons to be positive because not just happiness, but positive emotions in general, yeah. those do tend to have their own benefits and well, that and if, mindset and helps. If you can turn it, right? So if you can turn the bad day, the bad moment or the negative, you know, the sick, bad, bad day mm-hmm. into something positive, then you've got more resiliency, which will just perpetuate more happiness. Yep. Good stuff. McKenna Baus is her name. Baus is in the house doing a little mind bender for us. So uh, allow in all all feelings. Don't just think it can only be happiness. Good stuff. McKenna, thank you. We'll continue the journey, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. It's the house of Baus. It's the House of Bows. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. 97% of people on the island of Puerto Rico, that's 97% of 3.4 million residents, are still in the dark and are running out of food, water, and fuel. That is what's going on in Puerto Rico right now, which is, for me, why it's my, uh, my leading story. And the reality I'm finding is not a lot... Not enough being done. There's some. Mm-mm. Some stuff's being done, but it's. I, I wonder if we haven't forgotten them. And I guess every government would say, no, we don't forget our people, except you had two people die last night in intensive care because they ran out of diesel fuel. 
Mm. And that island – so, I mean, it seems like diesel fuel is something you should be able to get to an island, especially when the, this disaster took place a week plus ago, 10 days ago. So I know the LDS Church is often praised for being the first on the scene in disasters, but they, you, as you mentioned in one of the other hours, they've gotten rid of all of their LDS missionaries out of yeah. Puerto normally Rico. the missionaries, you know, so, group group in, get gather around and start helping to save lives and helping to to rebuild. But now the missionaries are out of Puerto Rico, which usually is a sign that uh, these aren't places you want to be. Right. So uh, federal relief efforts are moving into Puerto Rico, which is a a good sign. President Trump will be going there Tuesday. But uh, these are human beings, 3.4 million of them. And and now there's food shortages. Again, these are people that are American – I don't know if we're – are they full-on American citizens? Do they have full – They they can't vote in the presidential election because they're not a state. Yeah. But they have representation in Congress. They have people they, that are there. So. And they can they, – they could get on an airplane if there were airplanes and fly right in without any other credentials just like you and I. But the problem is they may not be receiving the full benefit of being um, our citizens. So let's, let's have them in our prayers and uh, let's get to the other headlines. Terry, what's going on around the country and the other news we need to be paying attention to? President Trump set to announce his tax plan as they're moving on from health care, which was taken off the table last night because they don't have enough votes to pass it. So they're just going to move on again hey, la, 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 la. from health care like today. Today's focus is taxes. We'll see how long that okay. lasts. Yeah. Um, usually the focus of the day doesn't actually remain the focus because, you know, NFL football or someone's kneeling or something. Right. Uh, so this is interesting. Americans' views on President Trump's tax reform proposal are split along predictably partisan lines. No. Now, th- this is a tax reform proposal that really hasn't been announced yet. Right. But apparently there is a uh, a mere 7% of Democrats back Trump's plan compared to 60% of Republicans. Oh, wow. So before he's even like... Before it's uh, even out there. Really, all they've said is they want to lower the business tax... They want to uh, streamline the the tax rates. There's, there's seven tax rates and now. They want to get it down to three. Yeah, that which seems that seems positive. They keep saying middle tax class, uh, middle class tax cut, which is what everyone says. Yeah, because there's more of middle class than anything else. So you're right. going to be friends with them. Right. Um, some of the numbers are showing that the extremely wealthy are going to get a tax break also. Which you know what, Republicans, what, what, which doesn't seem. It doesn't seem... Whichever. Okay. There's usually reasons for these, and they outline them in the plan that has yet to be announced. Okay, yeah. But everyone's against it, or they're for it. Yeah. Well, that that seems like that's the fastest way to make sure nothing happens. Right. Everybody stay entrenched. So, and and, and apparently when he delivers his uh, message, or, you know, the plan today, it'll be vague on the... With the purpose of allowing negotiators room to be able to maneuver to see if they can get some Democrat oh, votes on okay, and make sure okay. this plan Keep works. Keep it vague. You sure it's not just vague because there well, aren't a lot of details to it? Uh, there, there's <laughs> either way you want to look okay. at that one. Uh, President Trump was a vocal supporter of Alabama Senator Luther Strange during the Republican primary campaign in Alabama, which is something he apparently wanted to forget as soon as Strange was defeated after Strange lost the race to former state Supreme Court Justice Roy Moore on Tuesday. Trump started deleting his pro-Strange tweets. Yeah. Which brings up other questions because if that's official communication from the White House, you can't delete those. There's laws. Ooh. It's like deleting emails, which we've heard about, right? You're not supposed well, to delete. yeah, but or is it, is it not an, is it not an official 
communication oh, stream a, from the White House. Well, when it's the president, it's official. Wouldn't it need to be like at POTUS or something? By the know. way, apparently uh, CNN has a, a headline that says Trump is infuriated mm. after backing the Alabama loser. Well, good. Meaning this is behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, not publicly. No. Yeah. Yeah, he wouldn't be. Yeah. Well, he did say when he was down there stumping for the loser, strange. He goes, well, hey, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe the other guy's going to win. When the other guy had like a 10, 15-point lead. Well, and I would bet pretty much any time Donald Trump is furious, he is deleting tweets. (laughs) Wait a minute. Those actual words came out of his mouth, maybe I made a mistake? According to reports. Wow. This is a step in the right direction. Yeah, I think that that's a first. Yeah. Uh, AT&T's DirecTV, if you didn't know this, uh, the AT&T cell phone company owns DirecTV. Just got oh. out of my contract with them. That's why they yes. keep pushing so Direct you know. TV on me. That's why it's all connected. Yes, okay. it all works. I understand. So they're offering refunds to some Sunday tickets uh, subscribers who are angry with the wave of national anthem protests sweeping the National Football League games. <laughs> this out of the Wall, Wall Street Journal. The regular policy for Direct TV Sunday ticket prohibits refunds, which is convenient since they make you pay like. $400 for right. the season. Right. Uh, but customer service representatives have reportedly said they are making exceptions in light of the recent protests. While DirecTV has not issued an official statement outlining this response, several customer service representatives contacted by phone confirmed the new policy, with some saying a complaint against the protest is enough to get a full refund. Mark Hoffman, one subscriber interviewed by the Wall Street Journal... The bomber Mark Hoffman? No, different guy. Okay. Said he received a <laughs> refund of about $280 after simply calling to make a point. Oh. I'm angry. This was covered. Well, here's 280 bucks. Here, take this money. Just be uh, quiet. Yeah, I, I was I was really offended. So now that the story's out, the policy is over because they're not just going to start handing out money to everybody. Darn it! Because I was about to call. Yeah. See how much money has to be lost before the NFL will say something like, "You better stop this." I don't know if they ever will. They've already supported it last weekend, so I don't know if you can backtrack. Fans who came to see the New England Patriots beat the Houston Texans on Sunday were thirstier than usual due to unseasonably high temps. Ah. Apparently it was well into the 80s, and they're just sitting out there in the sun. And so the stadium's concession stands, one by one, began running out of bottled water and started charging people between 4 and $5 for the privilege of a soda cup filled with tap water. Oh... Four fifty. You want? Oh, you want to hydrate? Okay, be ten bucks. Well, these cups are expensive. The Boston Globe reports that while staff had ordered twice as much bottled water as usual in anticipation for the warm weather, demand was four times what it was uh, usually was, and they said like all the concession stands couldn't have held that much water in the building. This, so this is in Houston. This was in uh, New England. Holy cow! Wow. And so the Patriots, they've apologized because, you know, we're sorry we charged you for tap water, basically. Free craft macaroni and cheese but for surprise, everybody. surprise, <laughs> surprise, a lot of the water you're actually buying in the bottle is just tap water. Yeah. <laughs> they may throw it through a filter, but it's just tap water. Yeah, but the chili's only 50 cents today. <laughs> and finally, huge movie trailer news. What? Huge movie huge. trailer news. So we have the Avengers Infinity War. Oh, here That's we coming go. out next summer. Okay. May 4th of 2018. Ugh. The trailer is set to be released on Friday, according to rumors. No. <sighs> You're excited about a trailer. Oh, yeah. These are like three minute mini movies. No, no, no. He's excited about the rumors. The of rumors a of a trailer. Because it's, <laughs> wow. it's questionable. The other yeah. Avenger movies have released their trailers in October, so everyone's anticipating this is going to happen. You're easily excited. The first of October. <laughs> oh, yeah. And also, the Star Wars Last Jedi trailer release date has just been announced. Okay. It, 
October 9th, which will be on Monday. So wait, this is or, the latest of weeks. the the latest of the last. Yep, that one. Okay. That movie comes out December fifteenth. Okay. So December fifteenth, that trailer is that the trailer the, or the movie? The trailer. The the fifteenth is the movie. December fifteenth, <laughs> the trailer's out in October. Why? Why? Why are we announcing trailers? Oh, I'm sorry. That's like announcing like a commercial. Yeah. Hey, there will be a new commercial. Mm-hmm. For KFC, okay. December 5th. Come on, everybody talks about the commercials at Super Bowl. Right. Hmm? Yeah, but... Like, you want to come in the next day and talk about the, tr- the commercials. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right, but mm-hmm. that's not every trailer of every movie. We don't talk about every trailer, just the ones I like. Okay. It's different. So it's really just more about you. Well, it, yeah, there's a self-serving you know level yeah. to the show. Oh, I get it now. Now I get it. Okay. Okay. So, you know trailers. you're going to go see that movie. I don't know why you're complaining. I, I will probably see it, but I would never like anticipate a trailer. Yeah, it's a new feature of the movie cycle. Your yeah. favorite, your movie's coming out in, like next summer, but we're going to release a trailer and we're going to leak the date so you can be in, you can anticipate. And now they have teaser teasers for the trailer. No, what's that called? A teaser. A, t- a trailer teaser. A trailer so, teaser. Pre-tease. And it's like 30 seconds of really nothing. Maybe the logo, like, illuminated. Well, hold on. Isn't isn't the trailer really 30 seconds or three no, the, minute, uh, two minutes of really nothing? No, there's a lot in there. Okay. Now, wait a minute. I've You're... listened to one-hour podcasts breaking down Star Wars trailers. It's a three-minute podcast. They go for an hour plus. What? Because every every frame has new information. There's a new Not spaceship. Alive. There's a new character in the background. There's implied meaning in the the you know the words that are said. I mean, it's all in there. It's so much, so dense. So wow. you're telling me when you go to Costco, you're pro- you probably don't eat the samples either, do you? No, because that that's that a preview of something no, that, that is available to you. See, I don't eat the samples, and I actually really question humanity at how many people are standing in line. For that little, little bit sample. of whatever. Oh, I'm not. I won't stand in line. My kid, if they're my ready wife, when I pass by, that's I'll how my wife them. feeds the kids. <laughs> we just take them to Costco and it's walk just, them around. The for herd two hours. moves from one cheese covered product to I the next one. And you're like, what are you I doing? I feel. I feel like I'm using the lady. <laughs> by the way, the best time for samples at Costco: Super Bowl Sunday or just before Super Bowl Sunday. That's when they bring out all the chips and yeah. all the wings, everything that they never put out. I can't do it. I, I, I really, it weirds me out. Like, you go up to the little blue-haired lady. And she's just doing her little best to cut up those chicken strips. She can't do it fast enough. She can't do it fast enough. And then I just, I don't want a relationship with her. I just want, I just want that nugget. By the way, don't ask them where things are in the store. Well, they don't know. They they're, don't know. They're, you know why? They're, they're, hired, they're hired hands. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, my five-year-old daughter calls those samples examples. <laughs> Can we get an example? <laughs> yes. Let me give you – let's say, for example, that we go to <laughs> Costco and we want to try a food before we buy the food. Here's an example of why we don't try the samples because <laughs> you're going to try it, say that you like it, we'll buy a box, and you won't ever eat any of them. <laughs> for example, yeah, it's um, it, it's there's something about it, and it it's it weirds me out. My wife loves it. Like if she's like, go over and get a sample. I, it seems like a, it's like socially not appropriate. I don't like the idea of parking your cart at the sample station. To me, that's a little rude. If I'm passing by as they're dishing out the samples, I'll yeah. grab one for sure. 
or I'll park way across, walk up to it, grab the sample, and leave. Instead of you know stationing myself yeah. there for five minutes. No, you you like you're a very you're a very caring um, sampler. Thank you. Others just take advantage. They're yeah. you know they park in front. They're sample hogs. Then you have to pretend like you're actually going to buy the thing that you're sampling. Oh well, yeah. Oh yeah. Where is this located That's again? It. That's what it is. Because then I then I spend the next ten minutes pretending. Like I'm going to buy these or trying to give her a reason why I can't buy them, mm. even though I want one more sample. Is this made with cane sugar? Mm. Oh, you can taste the difference. Yeah, I'm sorry. I am allergic to cane sugar. And then you turn to your wife and you say, go, 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 go. I Try always, to make a quick so, getaway. I, I, don't get me wrong. I'll take a sample. Like it, I mean, if, if my wife goes and gets it for me or my kids – but I don't want to have to tell the lady no. That's probably what it is. Well, you are known for letting other people do your dirty work. Yeah. Do you wear headphones when you shop? Yes. Does that help people to not talk to you? Yes. Then you could wear it so the sample ladies could see that and realize you're busy. Yeah, but again, it's there's the That's weird rude. moment. There's the eye-to-eye thing. Don't look. You know, <laughs> Just ignore. Don't... Just keep my head <laughs> down. Yeah, Here's yeah. what Put you probably don't out. realize. They don't care. It's, oh. I don't think they're getting a commission, so they don't care if you buy it or not. Don't you? They care. No. Some, of them, some do. Some S- get a percentage of sales. I have never seen a person care, one of those samplers, I've never seen them care whether or not I bought it. Really? They just have this script that they ramble on. They don't even really make eye contact. Oh, five for a dollar here in the freezer section. See, on this is funny. Ne- I don't have any of this data because I have never talked to one of them very long. Hmm. I, I don't want to. Well, none of this or- is data. Or the guy selling yeah. knives that has the speaker system and he like starts yelling at you across the store. No, hey, now, come the, on down now here. Now those people are commission based. That, that's entertainment, though. Did you know I did that? Uh, I believe it. I sold Mister Sticky. Come again, huh? Mister Sticky in Sears and Kmart. Never met him for a couple of months. I did it. What's a Mister Sticky? It is a lifetime guaranteed. <laughs> here we go. As seen on TV. <laughs> lifetime guaranteed lint roller. Wow. Wow. So you never have to replace it. You rinse it off and then that it dries, then it's good to go again. Mr. Sticky. And we had a script that we had to follow very carefully. We also it was scripted when we were supposed to raise our hand and do the head nod, make eye contact with people. How many of you? How many you of you? You want one, you want one, and people start they say that people start nodding and agreeing with you. And uh, yeah, yes, you do want a but, lint roller. <laughs> but any parent has already had a Mister Sticky with just his their kids. kids. Yeah, with those sticky little hands. Oh all yeah, over. just start rolling them around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that lady. That lady. I don't hear that laugh. You that write it right at the end. I think it's out of your register. Right there. Was it the? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I got it. More penguin-esque sort of a uh, uh, laugh there. Hey, uh, did you hear about the vacuum company that's now going to create an electric car? This is not yeah. the setup of a joke. Dyson, Hoover? right? Dyson. Oh. Dyson, the vacuum company, is going to have an electric car. Three years. 2020, yeah. So so have they been working on it, or do they just think it's an easy thing to do? We'll just I think slap they this just, together. They're just, I think they're getting cocky. Will, will I have one huge like rolling cylinder ball in the middle? Yeah. Is that how it, it'll roll? And Will it have an agitator? Yeah. <laughs> will it work properly? I don't know. It's, can Dyson, I mean, they, they're really known for those 
vortex motor things. Yeah. It, so, well, they kind of change. If you, you can't find a vacuum with a bag in it anymore, no, they all have these canisters and cylinders oh, and vortex. Here comes their new and, car. Yeah, forward and backward. There it is. Forward and backward. It can never make a really long drive because you always have to go forward and backward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but every time you run over some rocks or debris, it just gets clogged up and your car stops. Wouldn't that be great, though, if we did have cars that clean the roads? Will it have a built-in vacuum in the car? Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that's their bread and butter, right? Well, and I guess that's the only reason you'd buy the car. And it's got to work good on pet hair and dander. Yeah. yeah. The filter system alone. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a good point. But how often would you have to empty your car's filter if your car was sucking up all the junk on the road? Well, every time you go get your oil changed, they're going to now come show you, look at this filter. <laughs> would, it be, this filter. would it be self-driving and self-vacuuming? Wouldn't that be great? That would be awesome. I don't know how that would work because you can't really have a Roomba type thing like rolling around inside there. Well, and honestly, so you, you pull your Dyson up to your Tesla? Yeah. Yeah. The only problem nice, is, though, nice Dyson. Nice Dyson. there would be a huge cone shortage all of a the sudden. They would just mean? be disappearing left and right. Oh, yeah, because the Vortex cone? Yeah. Maybe that's not Dyson. I'm pretty sure that's Dyson. That, that special Vortex. Could no, be no, 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 no. Cones like the, the uh, safety cones. The traf- traffic People would cones. be running over them, and they'd oh, and just suck. Get, suck them right up. That's true. Oh, I think they're getting, I think they're out of their league. Hmm. These Maybe. Are, this is a car. Do you remember everyone was thinking, Tesla? Yeah. You're not a car company. And now they're like a major car company. Now you, It'd be better if they were self-sufficient. You always think it's about the money. No, it'd be better if they weren't leaning on, right, you but, know, like grants from the government to stay afloat. Well, right. But yeah. that's just the American way. Now. No, I understand. I don't know what Dyson's going to lean on. Your hip? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe they'll just sell, you know, more expensive vacuums and another perk of the prop car. Up the business. We finally have a reason to drive our cars in our home. That's a great point. Wait till you pull your car into your living room. That's going to get ugly. Hey folks, uh, we're going to be talking up next about how to figure out if your social media is portraying the most accurate and positive version of yourself. Jeanette Bennett will be joining us, one of our uh, one of our contributors. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us today, Jeanette Bennett, who's the founder and editor-in-chief of Bennett Communications. She primarily focuses on, focuses on three magazines, Utah Valley Magazine, Business Q Magazine, and Prosper Magazine. She has a bachelor and a master's degree in journalism. A great singer, by the way. <laughs> well, that's overstating it. No, it's not. I occasionally get brave enough to that's like, turn a few notes. You just, I mean, that was gutsy. Was gutsy in front of in front of a bunch of people. You broke out a little Hamilton uh, parody, right? So we had this business event last week for our business magazine. Yeah. Uh, fifty businesses there to get their award, figure out where they ranked in right. our top fifty top fifty listing. We had a Hamilton theme. Wrote a little parody at the end. Well, you don't just write a little parody. No, I mean, I, that's like a bit. You you were dressed up even. Well, you know, I I thought about it for a while, but it actually was the day before the gala that on the back of a receipt I wrote out 
the parody. Did you really? I, I seriously did. Some of the lines had been kicking around for a few weeks. Yeah. There's so many details in finishing the magazine and the event itself, the lanyards, the seating assignments, yeah, yeah. all of that. And I kept thinking, I'm going to write that. Uh, you're going to write? I'll, I'll get to but it. But you didn't think you'd perform it. Well, I, I didn't think I would. I thought I'd have um, a couple of performers yeah. sing it. And then as I wrote it, it was written from Business Q magazine, which is, yeah. which is my magazine. Yeah. So you had to, you, somebody had to be the voice of Business Q. And so some of my staff members told me I should, I should sing it. And, and you I, did it. I listened to it. I had a couple singers sing the, the hard lines. Right. <laughs> what, but what if they were – and this kind of goes to your topic today. What if, what if you didn't have a good idea? Like what if you thought you were a better singer than you really are and your friends are like, oh, no, d- yeah, do it. Oh, I'm sure that's do it. the case. No, it's not. You were great. <laughs> so you, this is a big deal because you really put yourself out there. You could have – you could have been humiliated if you didn't have if you didn't know really what your abilities were. Well, and I and I hope people saw it as she had a message to share, not she thinks she's, she's headed a diva. to Broadway. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, I I think one of my only talents is that I am a brave person. You're I'm way willing, brave. I'm willing to do things. Right. I would never have done that. And <laughs> see, some people said that to me afterwards. I would never have done that. I don't think that's a compliment. No, I, I don't think they no. were saying I did I good. No, you did great, but I would never put myself out that far. Yeah. Well, especially on singing, probably. I mean, right. dancing, don't get me wrong. I dance like you would crazy. Dance. Okay. Yeah. See, I, yeah. the scariest thing I ever did was dancing with the community stars. Yeah. I, I, again, I, got, I got that talking was, to that. See, again, I'm yeah. willing to do stuff. Again, I say I would yes never do to that. stuff. No. That was one of the scariest You're things gutsy. I've done. So, how do we do this? Because on social media, there are people that don't. There are people that put out an image of who they are, and you know that's not them. Right. And there's others that don't seem to know who they are. I think that's right. And, you know, it's interesting because – so I went to school for journalism. Yeah. Right? I have some degrees in that. But now everybody owns, essentially, a publishing yeah. company right. Every, and a TV station. Everybody's your competitor. Right. Everybody right. can put out their message. Everyone can be their own reality TV right. star. We all have access to the same tools. And they all think that their opinions matter. True. I mean, I don't even. I have a radio show, and I don't think my opinion matters. <laughs> so I <laughs> well, don't know I why. To differ. I don't know why people think that their opinion matters, but they do. Everybody has an opinion. Well, it's like real life. If mm-hmm. you go to a party, there's people who hog the conversation yeah. and think their opinion's the most important thing. Right. So social media is real life in digital form, and and some people are braver and more obnoxious or or. More unrealistic, you know, <laughs> yeah. in their portrayals. But a lot of people, and I think most people, are generally themselves yeah. online. Yeah. They're as outgoing or as quiet as they are in real life in most cases. So, but then there's still this need to impress. I mean, there are some people, for example, that will never let you, they'll never post a bad picture. Right. And then there's others that will only post really nasty pictures or, or like the, the makeupless person. Right. And they oh, and which is there's nothing about that or against that. But it's that's their identity is that they don't need makeup. And then there's others that, you know, that shot took seven mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. to get the perfect filters. light and five filters. Right. And, so it's it's confusing as a consumer sometimes yeah. to see what's really going on. And, uh, you know, there's not a lot we can do about what other people post, but we can control what we post. Absolutely. And what we portray. And it's it's a fine balance because I think in general we want to post positive things, right? We don't want to get on there and complain and right. tell everyone everything that went wrong. But on the other hand, you don't want to portray this perfect life. Like my kids always look like this. They're always smiling and I my always look put together. My house is always perfect. Yeah, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see that a lot, don't you? Just like because a lot of it, a lot of it is about your home and your deck decor and your your drapes and anyway, it's like hmm, these homes are like this does not look like my house. My house, totally. What? Where are all the basketballs and tennis balls <laughs> and, and the baseballs? holes in the wall? And yeah, the piles of book and what, book orders. Where do you guys put your socks to sort them during mm-hmm. you know watching Big Brother? Right. These are the things we want to know. The funny thing is, when I've posted uh, realistic pictures, I'll say pictures of of a mediocre day or or a mess, I actually get more comments. Do you really? More yeah. likes. I think people can connect to that like vulnerability. That. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean complaining, moaning, blaming, oh, being a victim. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. mean that. But just being real. Like this is this is my life. Yeah. You know, I posted a picture, for example, the the first day of school this year. So it was the first time that all five of my kids have been oh, in gone. school all day. Right. And uh, and I've run a business that whole time and it's been a it's been a juggling act of yeah. working at home, kids at work, all of that. So I posted a picture of myself face down when I landed in my office that morning, just like <laughs> with a soda in my hand and saying, you know, I, as, it's been a, a long, a, a fun hard, summer yeah, yeah. and 20 years of juggling, and they're all in school all day. And that was my most liked picture ever. Was it Not really? that I'm counting the yeah, likes yeah. or that my everything's dependent on that. But I think people liked knowing, hey, you know. This is real. This is real. This magazine lady or whatever, it's not like every day is perfect and she has five nannies or anything like that. Right, right. It's, it's a real, real thing. Yeah. How, so I'm trying many, not to be offended. That... How many nannies do you? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Zero nannies. It's, um, but I guess that's part of what we're doing is, and you see it as a, as a publisher, people probably need to take their site a little more seriously though, right? Because this is their image. Right. And I'm not sure people realize that, that they, A, own a publishing company yeah. and B, they're in charge of their own brand. And that's a business that's term. Yeah. That's a business term. But we all are creating our own brand. Every post on all the platforms, Instagram, Facebook, all of that, you're creating a brand. And um, for some people who don't really know you in real life, that's all they'll know about you is what you portray right. out there. And is it is it consistent? Is it positive? Is it political? Is it scientific? Is it family? We're creating this brand. And if you look at the good brands in the world, Nike and Honda and Apple, they're consistent. They have a look. They have a feel. They have yeah. a tone. They have a sense of humor or, or not. They, they mix it up. It's right. not all the same thing. Exactly. So I don't think we have to just post about family or just post about gardening. Or It's not like we have to be a one-trick pony. Yeah. But uh, I think we need to be aware that we are forming a reputation and a brand that, and, that's and, long-lasting. And – we also – it seems like um, what I say supports the bigger institution, like the process that we all do this by. So if I support you know, stuff that isn't necessarily healthy or right. productive mm-hmm. or beneficial to society, even a little me liking it could actually make others think that it's OK to like certain things. True. So part of our brand is how we respond to other people's posts. Uh, I think. It's a big responsibility. It is. Especially a when a lot. bunch of teenagers are the ones starting this thing. <laughs> Every day. What's the deal we're, with that? We're speaking with Jeanette Bennett uh, from Bennett Communications. When you can find out uh, more by going to um, her website, you, is it uvmag.com? So utahvalley360.com will get you to all of our online content and magazines. You got it all there. Utah Valley, uh, Utah Valley 360. 360. Yeah. Utah Valley 360. We'll have more with Jeanette after this break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio.
Let's get clear. This is not Jeanette Bennett singing that song. She sounded good, though. That's the social media theme song at the social media conference that was held like five years ago. Nice. And she, like you, wrote her own. And then, listen, social, the guy behind sings up backups. Social, um, she wrote her own song for her own conference. We have something in common. You probably need to – you ought to try to keep up with the social media world like that. I think I should. I've got more parodies in my future. Do you? <laughs> That's really good. Jeanette Bennett's her name. She's the founder and editor-in-chief at Bennett Communications where she um, she has a bunch of different magazines, Utah Valley Magazine, Business Q Magazine, Prosper Magazine. If you go to the website Utah Valley 360, you can see really everything she's putting together. But she's also a mom, a wife. How many kids did you say? I have five kids. Five beautiful mm-hmm. kids. They're all now in school. Right. One's on a mission in Mexico. The other four are in school all day. Did uh, did Was he near the earthquake? He has felt the earthquakes, and uh-huh. they had a hurricane. Holy cow. Uh, so it's been a little crazy, but everything's good. He's fine. Just take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. He'll be home someday. He'll be okay. Uh, Jeanette is talking to us today about how to figure out if your social media is portraying the most accurate and positive version of yourself. Right. Because we, a lot of times we, we might be self-deprecating too much. We might put ourselves down a lot. And again, that might tell everyone else – like people that are negative, you don't want to follow their No, you get tired feet. of it. There's enough negativity in real life. You don't need to choose that on your social media no, right. feed. Why beat yourself up and yeah, so why if, follow people that beat themselves up? So if you're losing followers, take a little maybe look-see. That's maybe that's, that's it. So you really could – you could take this on as a business and and actually do more testing. I mean, I know that's what publishers do. They they know you know your magazine so well. You know what would work and what doesn't work because you've paid attention. Right, and in this digital world, you can see how many people read each article. Yeah. Our, we do printed magazines as well and you don't really get a feel for that other than some feedback that that you get offline and things. But yeah, digitally you can tell. And when we post things on social media, we can tell who who comments and and who likes. Although I think it's a mistake to get obsessed with that, right? Yeah. I mean, we're we're posting uh for our own documentation and to share things with friends and it's it shouldn't be a contest, you know. But we we've been at this fairly just a fairly short time. I think I've been I don't remember how many years, 9 or 10 years. But it is now a history of me. Totally. Like when Facebook says, hey, this was five years ago and there's a picture. Yeah, you're like, kind of cool. Yeah. You're like, I thought I looked chubby in that picture five yeah. years ago. I look awesome. Man, I, I, I look chubby now. <laughs> What's happening what to me? What is going on? So what are some other rules to help us you know, manage this better? So I think there's three questions you can ask yourself. How do I see myself? How do I see the world? And how does the world see me? So let's kind of dive into those. Yeah. So how do I see myself? So you could answer that by filling in the blanks. I am blank. I am a mother. I am a business owner. I am a Hot. singer. Oh, you are a singer. <laughs> I'm not. But, but you really are. No. I enjoy music, though. I do. Like that, that Let's Get Social thing you did was amazing. <laughs> Wasn't that good? Let's play that again. Yeah. Uh, I do play the organ. Do you really? I do. Uh, did you know that I played the accordion? Wow. Not to we brag. so much in common. I know. You should see. I don't play anymore. That's it, cool, I though. pulled my shoulder out. Mm, heavy instrument. Accordions are really heavy. They are. So you play the organ. I play the organ. The feet you, so and everything. The feet. You can, you can play the feet. I can play the feet. That's, that's the best part. That's something Those to brag about. Notes. Sure, totally. 
Those are the bass notes. You yeah. like to take it down to the basement to play That's the right. bass notes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, people like that. So how so do I know see myself? How do you see yourself? So answer that question. And it doesn't have to be just one thing. I think the best social media accounts are a mix, right? So if you are a political junkie and you like to post about politics, that's great. I think people also enjoy seeing the human side of you. So things that you do with your kids or maybe, you know, when you have a sick parent or those really humanizing things, yeah. I think it's good to mix that in. So I am blank. Answer that more than one more That's than cool. Yeah. yeah. And more than one way. Yeah. More than one way, because we do want to see a well-rounded person online. And then the second question is, how do I see the world? So to answer this question, perhaps you could say, when I see blank, I think blank. Mm. So when I see the earthquakes in Mexico, yeah. for example, I think, how can I help? Right. So those type of people that have that brand of service and just an international viewpoint, they're going to think, how can I help? And they're going to want to post things about, hey, does anyone know how to get supplies there? That's or great. Yeah. They can ask questions or, or share resources. So when I see blank, I think blank. That's right? cool. So one of my things I'm interested in is helping young women know that they can get educated yeah. and they can have dreams. So when I see young women graduating from high school, I think encourage them to That's cool. not only to go to college but finish going. college and, mm-hmm. and to, to have some dreams. That's great. So that helps you decide how you see the world and what's important to and you. And how you want to change the world. Exactly. It's powerful. And, and as you post those things, you'll be connected to other people with similar interests. Yeah. Because they will comment and post and you'll become, you'll become friends and even collaborators mm-hmm. on some of your passions. That's cool. And then lastly, how does the world see me? That's the hardest to answer. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it might help to ask other people. Get like, some feedback. Get some feedback. Yeah. But also I think we can – if we're really uh, realistic, we can figure a little bit out that ourselves. So if you asked yourself, my friends would say my posts are usually blank, you know, are oh, usually yeah. positive, funny, warm, short, long, political, exhausting, kind, exhausting, <laughs> political. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think if we're honest, we can figure some of those things out ourselves. And, uh, and maybe the flip side, my friends would be surprised if I posted something about blank. <laughs> Interesting. Right? So yeah. if, if something would be out of character for, for you, if you posted something that was negative when you're usually positive, or if you're not a political person and you start ranting about something, you know, that would be off. That would be surprising. That would be surprising to some people. And I guess um, you could try that. You could. I mean, in, in a positive, healthy way, you could start risking a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Some people, it seems like... They may know what they want to do. They just may not believe they can do it. They may not believe they can be that person they want to be. True. They may think they're not like, hey, I could never run a publishing company. But little do you know, you own one. Yeah, you, have a you Facebook are one. Account. That's right. <laughs> right. And you could be a blogger and a vlogger. And there's so many there's things There's no that you're barrier to entry now. these days. Anyone, everyone can it's do that. Powerful. And I actually think it's important that everybody does have a social media account, at least one. Yeah. Uh, in today's world, it's a way to connect. But it's isn't, a, isn't, it, isn't it the source of um, where Satan and darkness enter your life? <laughs> Is that what they say? I had somebody say that to me recently. <laughs> oh, I mean, it can. There's good and bad on all things, yeah. right? And so you, could, you can overdo social media. You can let it take over your life. Uh, that's another thing that we and our children need to figure out is how to manage how much time we spend on yeah. there, how much credence we put into into that type of conversation. But I do think it's important to be on there. Yeah. Uh, when I travel and go to different conferences and things and I meet people, I like to connect with them online oh, because yeah. it perpetuates that relationship. Yeah. Right? If we take a picture and then I post it and tag them, we're friends now forevermore and we're going to 
We're going it's to so enrich true. that relationship. Whereas if you don't do that, that's lost. You'll never remember that person's name again. You'll never connect with them again, perhaps. And so I do think it's important to jump in. Also, when I, when I write about someone and I go to tag them, if they don't have an account, that's a lost opportunity. Yeah, for I them could, I could you. be building their that's photo right. archive with what I'm posting. But if they're not on there, Let's I can't see. add that to their And two, your kids are on database. it. And if and, your kids mm-hmm. are on it, too, you don't want to be the last one on it. You don't. Although the kids have left Facebook, have you noticed that? I know, that? they have. They've gone to Snapchat. They have. Those dirty little dogs. <laughs> and Snapchat, I haven't quite wrapped my head around. I know, so. I haven't either. It's, mm-hmm. I think it's such a young generation thing. Mm-hmm. And we, it's harder to snap. You know what it I mean? It is. It takes Chat's practice. easy. But uh, there's also LinkedIn, there's Twitter, there's all of these different ones. Mm-hmm. So, well, Jeanette, we appreciate you. Uh, Jeanette Bennett's her name. UtahValley360.com is the game. Go check it out. You can see all of her great work and find out about moms and brides and life and business and sports. She does it all. And she sings Hamilton, <laughs> her own version. Such an overstatement. Not at all. Jeanette, thanks for being with us. Thank you. We'll it's have fun, you man. back. We, uh, Jeanette's here every couple of weeks. We're going to work her. I'll be back. She's the best. We'll take a break. And uh, up next, we're going to be talking with our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Welcome back, friends. A little uh, sports sounder for you. Why? Because we're going to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, and uh, it's always fun to hear them respond to these sounders. How are you, Spencer and Jerem? Fantastic. Rick, Rick Patino's out of a job. <laughs> wow. That was great. The state of college basketball is not good. Not not good. What's going on with it? Now, now a lot of coaches under indictment or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, like prominent. The FBI is involved. Um, so if you thought you know the NCA uh, investigations were were bad, uh, what, what's it been? Three years of yeah. probes and mm. wiretapping and undercover work, it's... and there's some prominent <laughs> college basketball programs that are in trouble. Yeah, well, well, there, give us some names. Some pro- what are there some are names? Some prominent programs, and then there are teams like Auburn and and USC. Oh yeah, yeah. There's prominent. Louisville, the most Louisville is like whoa. Yeah, yeah. Rick, Rick Pitino uh, out at Louisville. At Holy Louisville. cow! And the the athletic director as well. And this is because of some alleged collusion between these coaches and agents, sporting good companies. Big time, yeah, big time companies. Adidas involved. Essentially saying, one of them. "Hey, we will funnel money to you off." the record and off the radar if you come to this school and promise to sign with said company once you go pro once you go pro wow yeah but but the funny thing about this is it's kind of hasn't this all been known to be going on i think it's been known they just haven't had been able to prove it interesting finally somebody not named the nca and no one really respects the nca and it's uh, investigative team power yeah. and and uh, that part. Now the FBI is involved. Uh, yeah, stuff's going down. And so this, I wonder if this is the tip of the iceberg. I doubt that this is the end. But nobody's right? messing with J. Edgar oh. Hoover, Matt. Okay, <laughs> yeah, keep so, J. Edgar out of this. Yeah. So this, this yeah, is, this is interesting, right? There's a lot of dealings, you know, known at major college basketball, um, in major college basketball about like. 
hey, players get paid. College football, players get paid. It's like a thing in the SEC when someone com- recruits against an SEC team. It's like, well, we can't pay them as much as they do. Yeah. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like, right. that's, a, that's a phrase, uh, you know, I've heard from other colleges Truth. nationally yes. about the SEC. And I'm like, wait, what? So there's a lot of this going on, which, which uh, you know, isn't good. You want it no. to be fair. It's never actually fair. Right. But you want it to be legal. Yeah. But th- this- there's a difference between fair and unfair and illegal. Exactly. It seems like this is going, but this kind of goes back to the, they're professional athletes, really, but they're not paid. And that's all another. Right. The whole amateur status thing. But meanwhile, all the universities are making a killing. Yeah. Would it all change if they could agree on something to pay the athletes a certain stipend or whatever? Right. They're getting stipends. But no one has come up with one that everyone agrees on. Yeah. That makes sense. There is no no simple answer. No one's come up with an answer. Everyone's asked the question. No one's answered the question. Hmm. Yeah. Because everyone's like, well, they're. Yeah, they're getting their education. That's that's getting they're getting paid for through schooling. How much is the use of your likeness and image worth? Mine. Because let's be <laughs> let's be fair. Like, there's a reason that the star players in college sports have their numbers on jerseys that are being sold in all the universities' bookstores. Exactly, right? exactly. By the way, I would I would give you my name and likeness for a cheeseburger. If you guys are wondering. Well, we'll think on this thing. We'll ponder on it. <laughs> wow, you're not very expensive. Not at all. No. Well, I mean, and um, I'd obviously want a combo meal. Yeah, oh, okay. With, with fries. Yeah. Let's not get too aggressive there, Matt. With fries. <laughs> I just up the ante. <laughs> so uh, what are you guys going to talk about on your show then? Not, not that. Not no, that. No, we, we're not discussing that, but we are discussing why now is the time for the BYU football offense to break out. Question is, how? Hmm. And who's to blame? The head coach on what has been the biggest issue for the BYU offense. And how many points does BYU need to score against Utah State to make you feel better about the offense and the general direction of BYU football? By the way, we have the old wagon wheel in studio leaning on our set. Really? Yep. It was first uh, put in use to the winner of the BYU-Utah State football game in 1948. Mm -hmm. Well, We have it in studio. You have it. We yeah. haven't. But that that doesn't seem like it's appropriate. We took it from the football lobby last night. Yeah. Yes. It seems like it, yeah, no, it belongs in the museum somewhere. Well, it belongs It was an approved BYU. theft. Okay. It was an approved theft. Speaking <laughs> of FBI. But yeah, but it, 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 it was an approved theft, but still a theft Listen, nonetheless. Listen, we want to steal this later today. Can we do that? We're going to unsteal sure. it later. So yeah. you're you're going to be highlighting the the wagon wheel. Anything else on the show? The old wagon wheel. Greg Rebell, voice of the Cougars will join us. We'll talk about the lack of havoc from the BYU defense and what role that has played with the BYU offense. Wow. Plus our 2 on 1 with Six foot nine defensive end Corbin Kafusi, and we play a little big deal, no deal. Is it is it a big deal that BYU averages the fewest amount of plays per game in college football right now? Uh, it seems like it. <laughs> <laughs> seems like seem it. Obvious. We will tell you our shocking response. Good Hang stuff. On. Good stuff, guys. It's going to be a show you're not you will not want to miss because of the wagon wheel. And the deal or no deal. Good stuff. BYU Sports Nation, folks, four and a half minutes away. By the way, you didn't answer their question. Or maybe it was more of a rhetorical question. Well, which but one? How many points does BYU need to score in this game in order for you to feel more confident about their future? Yeah, that's the question they're asking the entire BYU Sports Nation audience. Well, now I'm asking you. 
to feel confident about their future, they would need to score 35 points. Well, I was going to say 50. Wow. They got to get their average bumped back up to where it should be. Oh, I know. I don't think they're going to do it in one game. See, this is coming from somebody who hasn't watched a single one of these Haven't games. Haven't you really? No. Why? No, not this year. You've got not to get on year. it. You've only got... I've been very focused on the uh, Major League Baseball happenings. Yeah, yeah. You're, still, you're still hoping that that can happen. They have the best record in baseball. They just clinched the home field advantage for the National League. That's all I'm going to say. That's all you got to say now. Hey, uh, as you know, we, we always like to tell a hero story as we wrap up the show. And our hero this uh, day comes from the Alps. Listen to this. A French tourist is being praised for saving a busload of fellow passengers from a catastrophe after the driver passed out. The bus was on a winding road in the Austrian Alps near, near Schwaz. Uh, when the 76-year-old driver collapsed, the BBC reports, as the bus was careening toward the precipice, a 65-year-old man sitting near the front jumped up into the seat, managed to hit the brakes at the last second, and uh, and stopped the bus. The bus slammed into a wooden barrier, preventing it from hurling down a slope and over a 328-foot cliff. Holy cow. LQ published a photo of the bus, uh, its front end punctured by the barrier, tilting uh, down a grassy hill. Uh, local police rep praised the hero as in their quick reflexes. Uh, we were a hair's breadth from catastrophe, they say. So that one 65-year-old French tourist saved the entire busload of people. Unbelievable story. Heroes, folks, they're everywhere, and you are one of them. You just got to be willing to stand up and uh, and take the stand. And you don't always have to be brave. You don't always have to do crazy stuff. Sometimes you can just be there. That's the show, my friends. We'll be back again tomorrow right here on uh, BYU uh, Radio. BYU Sports Nation, they're up next.